Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, get your Sharpies out and cross out the date. It's January 24th, and we are marking out the days as the magic school bus of professional wrestling podcasts is ready to serve you with historical moments and maybe some not-so-historical moments in the history of professional wrestling. We are the Retrosexuals. I'm Dave Rosenluth, and joining me, my good buddy from Retromania, Hell Kobe yes. Naito. What's up, man? Yeah, super kick right into the microphone. Um, yeah, what's up, dude? I'm ready for the Royal Rumble. How about you? Yeah, this is very Royal Rumble themed this week. Just like it's very Royal Rumble themed, I'm kicking out it too. Um, we're in the Royal Rumble season as we head towards the the proverbial road to WrestleMania um, in WWE television currently, but. In the, in, in, in the past, in the prior years, in the history of professional wrestling, we've been on the road to WrestleMania. We're going to cover a number of different roads to WrestleMania that started at previous Royal Rumbles like 1988, the inaugural Royal Rumble, 1993, and 1999 that all took place on this date in wrestling history, as well as we're going to cover an NWA Bunkhouse Stampede, we got a Nitro episode from the year 2000, we got a couple of birthdays, we got a couple of people passing away, we got a loaded show, so Kobe, before we get into all of that, why don't you tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods of Retromania? Yeah, Retromania right now, we got... Coming out tomorrow, actually, episode 13. That's the Royal Rumble 1991, where we fantasy book number one through number 30. And, uh, man, that's going to be a hot one. Jimmy and I just recorded that earlier today, uh, breaking kayfabe right there. But, yeah, we're, we're putting it out right before the Royal Rumble, so we hope everybody enjoys it. Find out what happens when... Uh, when we run down the Royal Rumble 1991, Sting's the champion right now. It's an alternate timeline. Uh, we have a lot of fun with it, and it's really cool to go through 1 through 30 and uh, talk about what happens. And uh, Yeah, uh, so you can catch that on retromania.blogspot.com, as well as I will have an episode of Gaijin Wrestling Radio covering some of the news coming up from New Japan, as well as a retro part of New Japan. So, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that, as well as always marking out the days on our feed. And, uh, yeah, Dave, what else is going on with kicking on it, too? Well, before I get into what's going on in my neck of the woods, can you give me a little bit of a brief rundown of Gaijin Radio and exactly what it is to some of our newer listeners? Yeah, sure. So Gaijin Wrestling Radio, it started off with I wanted to give everybody a taste of uh, New Japan and New Japan World, kind of a guide to what you should watch on there and what you can check out, as well as older, you know, you know, older stuff, but covering the newer stuff as well. Um, uh -huh. And kind of giving information and backstories. Um, I, my knowledge is pretty deep on New Japan as far as uh, I've been watching at least for eight years straight so wow. um yeah uh, I, I at least have a good knowledge of new japan wrestling but i'd like to have a a, a weekly or bi-weekly podcast where i update that and i did want to do nxt but that kind of got stale um roh i will talk about the pay-per-views and i will talk about nxt takeovers so that'll be the foreign wrestling radio kind of like the introduction of what they're doing with these fusion wrestlers, these outside uh, wrestlers from different companies. Of course, we know Kushida is going to be signing with uh, WWE, we uh -huh. think. So, uh, yeah, 
we'll see what happens there and i'll have plenty of matches to cover and plenty of links in the uh in the facebook i'm oh, sorry we'll have plenty of links on facebook and uh everywhere else so yeah it'll be fun very cool man you know i'll be honest with you um i'm not you know as knowledge or nowhere near knowledge uh, knowledgeable as you are when it comes to new japan um i try to watch as much of the current stuff as i can whether it be little snippets on youtube or matches um i was fortunate enough to uh, through you to uh, gain some access to the new japan world account that you have and i watched uh, a little bit of that wrestle kingdom uh mm-hmm. with the uh, abushi and osprey which was an awesome match and i'm looking yeah. i'm looking to hopefully you know I'm b- about three weeks late to the party but i'm looking hopefully to uh, get a g- get my hands on uh switchblade jay white and uh kazuchika okada because i heard that was an awesome match too and i'm a yes. big jay white jay white's kind of grown on me he's like my first real new japan guy that like i'm as a new fan of new japan pro wrestling um mm-hmm. that that i've kind of gravitated to which you know um you know with your you know gaijin radio and the the history that you bring to, to that show from new japan uh, it's almost kind of like a um like like cliff notes in a way of of right. how to uh you know access the new japan world uh streaming service and what to watch and what to you know keep your eyes out on so i think that's pretty cool and uh, for it's something that's probably um very helpful for newer listeners that don't have as much knowledge on new japan pro wrestling and you've got you know eight years and some pretty deep knowledge i mean that's pretty good man so i I look forward to trying to get my hands on that and 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 browsing that from you know time to time as well as uh, all the other shows that uh you produce uh, the the fine jobs you do with uh with, with with everything retro mania which is pretty cool Thanks, man. But, I appreciate um, it. And we got plenty oh, no, of man. news between the two of us coming up as well. Just a little tease. Um, yes. So, yeah. Um, go on. But, tell me what's going on with Kicking Out at 2, please. All right. Over on Kicking Out at 2 this week, we have dropped the 1994 Royal Rumble match watch along. My brother Justin joined me and we sat down and we watched the entire 1994 match. We discussed... Uh, you know uh, certain elements of the Royal Rumble that we would like to see come back, like the um, the uh, the split screen when the guy comes out from the ring, to even potentially um, including uh, Alexa from the Amazon Alexa, um, uh, whatever they fucking call that thing. Um, the commercials? No, not the commercial. You know the the gimmick where you talk to the thing and it gives you the you know whatever you want, whether it's like music or, or right the Alexa. Yeah. We so my brother and I we were discussing about the potential of having Amazon be a, a sponsor, Amazon and Alexa being a sponsor of an upcoming Royal Rumble where Alexa would do the countdown. Oh um, wow! And then the individuals. Hey, wait, wait, wait. You're giving away too much money right here. You know what? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. That's true. You guys got to check it, check it out, kicking out it too. Where you know Justin and I we come up with the brainchild of uh, Amazon and the Royal Rumble. But we have a lot of fun with this with this podcast. We talk about our memories growing up watching this event um, in the same household, and uh, it's just definitely a lot of fun. We, we talk about some of the wrestlers in the Royal Rumble match that um, if pro wrestling was a side 
side job? What would the real occupation be? And we just have a lot of fun with it. Um, overall, this is the first Royal Rumble match I've ever done a watch-along for and kicking out at two. And I felt it was, it was a success, so hopefully all the listeners do that go check that out over at SoundCloud.com. Search kicking out at two for that. You can also find the link to that archive show over on our Facebook page, Facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Uh, you can also find it on our Twitter as well. Our handle is at kicking out two, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. Um, all kinds of fun going on on our social media and on uh, you know each and every week on kicking out at two. And, and little spoiler alert, but next week, for those of you that listen to this show and listen to my show as well over on kicking out at two, you're in for a treat because Kobe and I, we're teaming up. Kobe's going to make his debut on Kicking Out at 2. He's going to join me for a special watch-along of the January 1st, 1996 edition of Monday Night Raw, which was very infamous for the first and only time WWE ever produced the Raw Bowl. It wow. was very football-themed and, 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 and uh, you know, gridiron-centric, so to speak. Um, you had four teams in a match wearing football jerseys. They painted the canvas green. They drew the lines out. Earl Hebner was wearing a, an NFL referee um, uh, uniform, and it was just a lot of fun. And with the Super Bowl coming up um, later that weekend, I thought it would be fun to kind of bring back the wrestling football connection. We're going to talk as well about different, um, you know, football players that have gotten involved in professional wrestling on a limited basis and some in guest roles or even full time and, and try to figure out what that connection is between professional wrestling and professional football. And we're going to do that, um, as well as watch along with that episode of Monday night raw. So, you know, two watch alongs back to back on kicking out at two Kobe making his debut talking wrestling and football. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks man. I appreciate it. And I can't wait. And, uh, I look forward to it. I actually really look forward to uh, listening to that 1994 Rumble watch along too. I want to watch it uh, as well. Um, that that's a fun Rumble um, and, and an underrated one as well. 94 has kind of been a a really like a, 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 it's got a it's got a really nice spot in my heart now that I've watched it. Um, yeah, I, I've grown to appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I, I look forward to that. And I love the Facebook post that you put up today um, with the picture of the people and their gimmicks about the occupations. I love yes. stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, your Facebook page is always popping off. Justin, Justin and I, we had a lot of fun uh, going back and forth and uh, discussing what some of these guys would be in the real world. Um, and it, w what job would be bringing home the bacon and it wasn't pro wrestling. So uh, we definitely had a lot of fun with it. And it was just overall, it was a fun time. And I look forward to having fun with you next week. I'm kicking out it too with the raw bowl watch along from January 1st, 1996. Yeah. I've never seen that episode uh, unless I blanked it out. Um, you know, PTSD. It's very possible. It's very yeah. possible. Um, it's got its good moments. I think it's a hidden gem, personally, in my opinion. But uh, you'll just have to uh, wait and see as we watch along next week. Yes, and PTSD, I mean post-traumatic suplex disorder. <laughs> who, who, who is dropping you on your head? <laughs> and myself. So I got oh, okay. did a couple matches. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. All right, so moving on with the day, January 24th. You ready to run this one down, dude? Yes, I am. The magic school bus is ready to depart. Let's do it. Beep, beep. All right, let's do the birthdays um, 
of course, we'll we'll go chronologically as we try to do on this show and keep it within a limit of around 20 years cut off. And we kind of note the Rawls and Nitros of 2000, 2000s if they have anything uh, notable to mention. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, so, all right, starting with the earliest, 1942, happy birthday to Gary Hart. Gary Hart, yeah. Um, what do you think of Gary Hart? Because I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for his contributions to the business, and I feel like he's he's one of those guys that flies under the radar on a number of levels. No, I, I agree. Um, I really want his book. Have you heard about his novel? No, I ha- well, actually, I think I did hear that he was he still was he still alive when he wrote the book? I think it was around the time he died, maybe. Okay. Um, but yes, it was like kind of like privately released. Um, but yeah, a lot of insight and stories in there. And um, I'm a fan of MLW Radio. I'm going to give them a shout out. And Court ba- Court Bauer, the the owner of MLW the uh, wrestling league and the radio podcast network he had a lot of stories about gary hart and from what he said and from everything i've heard um just a great mind for the businessman uh came up with the great muda gimmick um you know did the one-man gang stuff um just really just really influential for building heels and uh, building heat in a territory and he was booker in a lot of territories yeah, he, he booked um he booked Dallas for a while. He actually was the one of the, the the driving forces creatively behind the the um the early uh the early incarnation of the Freebirds uh Von Erich feud. Um yeah. and uh he was also um a big force behind uh the uh the Dusty Rhodes Great Kabuki uh, storyline in uh, Florida, down in Florida Championship Wrestling for Eddie Graham. Um, yep. He was not only the manager of the Great Kabuki, but he also um, was one of the bookers and pitched, you know, pitched ideas and definitely um, made an impact down in that territory. But uh, like you said, a guy that was able to um, build heat, and he was surrounded by you know an army of some of the most evil characters during that time. I mean, he once managed uh, Gentleman Chris Adams yes, when Chris Gino Adams Hernandez. turned on the Von Erics, Jake the Snake before he yeah. was Jake the Snake, yep. um, Kabuki, Kamala, The Missing Link, uh, the list goes on and on, Great Muda. He had that Abdul short run in WCW with Terry Funk, you know, and, and, and Terry Funk's, uh, you know, challenging Ric Flair for the NWA world title. So um, Gary Hart's one of those guys that um, – I feel like, um, you know, and, and this is just me based on my WWF knowledge, but if Gary Hart was ever was ever afforded the opportunity to be a part of the, you know, one of the managers in the World Wrestling Federation, I think he would have been probably in the top two, top three managers behind like a Bobby Heenan or even a, um, a Captain Lou. Like he oh, was God, that good, yeah. you know? Um, um yeah. So that that's that's what I think of Gary Hart and uh you know a, a guy whose contributions certainly I wouldn't say they get overlooked but I don't think they get praised and celebrated enough. No, I agree. And could you imagine him and Brody together in WWF? Oh man. Wow. Yeah. Talk about like, some uh yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy stuff. 
Yeah, that that might that might be a new uh, a, a new episode of Retromania. Hell yeah, yeah we might have to bring Brody back. Booking Brody. <laughs> yep. <laughs> With Gary um, Hart, that'd be interesting. Yeah, that would. Um, all right, well, uh, happy birthday to Gary Hart. Uh, moving on with the birthdays, 1961. Bro, Vince Russo. <laughs> <sighs> wow. I mean, do you want to start or do you want me to? <laughs> okay, 1998 and 1997, he was on fire. Yes. Um, from there, he had maybe a few gold mine ideas, but. Uh, kind of the payoff and everything never hit um i don't i don't know if i could say a great mind for the business um I, th- I don't know i think he deserves i think his influence i wouldn't say great mind for the business but i think his influence on okay. the product deserves a place in wrestling i'm not saying that he's a genius by any stretch of the imagination i think he came up with a good concept um in theory at the right time when the wrestling business needed it uh with that shock jock jerry springer howard stern type tv i think he i think you know that was the perfect opportunity at that time to deliver that kind of programming and he happened to be the one that was a, a driving force behind it um great mind no but definitely someone who um contributed uh you know some solid stuff but i feel like he was the kind of guy that didn't have um a lot of direction when it came to his stories um right you got if the payoffs very McMahon, early yeah yeah as the filter you know what i mean yeah. he was vince mcmahon was the filter to vince russo um, he does. I will say Russo does get some undeserved credit, um, you know. For I mean, he 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 brings a lot of that shit upon himself. I'll be honest with you, with what, what? he talks about on social media and in his podcast, and just the way he he carries himself, he brings a lot of that on himself. But I think he's just trying to sell himself so he can get more people to follow him on Twitter and listen to his podcast. But nonetheless, um, his contributions I think shouldn't go unnoted. Good and definitely bad. I mean, you can't you know just celebrate him entirely you know we we shit on people on their birthdays <laughs> on this show so i mean it would be it, it, it would yeah happy shark day to you vince russo um it wouldn't be a birthday here on marking out the days if we did not do that but um, one instance where i feel like it was a good idea in theory but the execution was kind of you know it, it, it wasn't executed very well was i thought the brawl for all concept was kind of cool and it it added a different part of the show that gave guys that didn't get opportunities on television an opportunity to really stand out and could have been some kind of like a launching pad like it was like a lower to mid card version of king of the ring but much more dangerous you know what i mean and i and russo delivered that but at the same time i don't think it was thought out very well like he had the the idea in theory but where do you go from there after that? And how, how do you, you know, handle a situation when a guy gets really hurt? Because they're letting guys beat the shit out of each other out there for real, for real. Yep. So, um, And I think that's one thing I would praise Hogan for always. He always had the story of uh, anytime I hear the booking, I want to ask, well, where do we go from there? Yep. Don't just like start one part, you know. You kind of no. reverse, reverse book. That's how we do yeah. on the show. Um, yep. So, yeah. 
you go with the finish and then you go backwards to how you got started yeah i mean it definitely yeah it's you know russo didn't have that forethought and of course you know we can we could talk about the viagra on a pole and judy bagwell on a pole and everything he did in wcw the stuff he did in tna but at the same time um survivor series 1998 survivor Um, series 1998 was probably his greatest one night storyline in in his career like the mm-hmm. twists and turns and how every all the dots were connected properly and it, everything made sense you know you didn't scratch your head even 20 years over 20 years later I'm, I mean I still look at that pay-per-view as probably one of the best pay-per-views that he wrote because everything worked it gelled it clicked it made sense and it still makes sense now so i mean i can't knock yeah. the guy too much but you know that's how i feel about vince russo deserving of his place in wrestling history for his for his contributions for sure both good Agreed. and bad okay so half shart uh yeah no he gets a full shart he's got okay. a, he's got a resume of some bad stuff <laughs> yeah. he gets he gets a full shart that okay. that that one's definitely touching cotton i'll say that <laughs> all right happy happy birthday bro um, moving on, 1965, Mike Awesome. Uh, just played him in Virtual Pro Wrestling for N64 last night with Sean Grukowski from Movie the Podcast, MoholRadio.com, and Better Weebit. Uh, yeah, we were playing that game, so I played as Mike Awesome and whooped some ass at him, as him uh, against Chono. Um, yeah, but Mike Awesome, a great wrestler. Um, in my opinion, I think peak ECW and then WCW kind of killed him. Um, but a, a, a good big man, FMW history there with some hardcore stuff and just crazy spots, crazy athleticism from him. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you think? I mean, I, I enjoyed Mike Awesome stuff. Um, you know, my first exposure to him was uh, ECW. And uh, when he made that run in and, the, you know, the, the surprise third guy in the um, the triple threat match with Taz mm-hmm. and Sato Tanaka at the Anarchy Rules pay-per-view in September of 1999. And then just seeing the stuff that, you know, followed that with him and Tanaka, some pretty brutal stuff, very entertaining, yes. very bloodthirsty. As a teenager, I thought that was the greatest stuff he ever saw. Um, but, you know, at 36 years old, um, there's definitely, you know, it, it doesn't age well. I, I watched, I think I watched a, an old match of theirs recently um, from Heat Wave 98. And, okay. you know, like they they destroyed each other. Sometimes some of those chair shots were like, oh, like it was not it was not pretty to watch. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it made me squeamish, but, you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable after the first few. I'll right. just leave it leave it at that. But a guy who brought something different with his style because he moves so well as a big man that I felt like um, on the mainstream when he did go to WCW, even though he left ECW in controversial fashion, um, the big man style with him flying off the top rope and flying over the ropes and stuff like that, I felt like that definitely would have worked in his favor. And Russo tried to Russo basically turned him into a joke. He was the fat chick thriller, um, which I thought was a little bit funny at first, but when they really ran with it, I was like, that's stupid. And then they gave him the seventies gimmick. He was that seventies guy, Mike awesome. I was like, this is fucking awful. This is terrible. I'm like, I want to see the Mike Austin that flies over the top rope. Power bombs, a guy off the top rope. You know, I don't want to see this shit. And, um, they kind of, uh, simplified him towards the end of WCW's run with, um, him and Lance storm in a tag team. 
and then he transferred over to, to, to WWF after the invasion, and I was kind of hoping for big things from him, and he didn't. Re- they didn't really do anything with him. I think it was just a case of like there was too many guys on the roster. They couldn't. They couldn't Agreed. find anything, you know, for anybody. And uh, unfortunately, he took his life, and that's you know, that's yeah. that's, that's no laughing matter. Um, you know, the, the, obviously he battled some personal issues resulting yep. um, in the manner that he had passed. But a guy who. I feel like if he stuck around long enough and was maybe given another opportunity, I think, you know, the appeal of him being such a big guy, being able to move around so quickly, minus all the hardcore stuff, minus the chairs and the tables and all this stuff, but his right. innovation with his his ability to move at his size, I think could have been a big drawing factor for him. And unfortunately, he didn't get that opportunity on a mainstream level. Yeah, but, if um, he would have stuck around for the relaunch of ECW, possibly, you know? yeah. Yeah, I think that would have definitely if they if you kind of you know um, kept him uh, I wouldn't say within the WWE bubble, but if you you took away some of that hardcore stuff a little bit, I still think people would have dug him. Yeah, agreed. Uh, happy birthday to Mike Awesome! And the last birthday bit I will bring up. This is a weird one because last week I wished Mark Briscoe a happy birthday. Jay Briscoe was born the year before. Interesting, wow. huh? Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, uh, shout outs to Jay Briscoe. Um, yeah, and then wrestlers who have died this day. We go back to um, the date of 1997 on this day. Dr. Jerry Graham dies of heart failure. Um, Jerry Graham, yeah. Isn't that, um, wasn't that Vince McMahon's favorite wrestler? Didn't Vince want to be Dr. Jerry Graham when he got into the business? Yes, but I didn't get okay. a, a, a doctor's degree. Um, well i mean he he was at one point dr heine when he pulled jr's head out of his ass if you remember that so i mean he was that was about the closest thing he ever became to dr jerry graham but yeah um and then another one um bobby duncan jr in the year 2000 so um bringing that up because he will be mentioned later in the episode for the nitro 2000 uh rundown yeah, Bobby Duncombe, uh, West Texas Rednecks. I mean, yes. I didn't, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I cared for him, but I didn't care for him at the same time. I just didn't have like a, uh, I, I, I felt like I seen one too many cowboys in wrestling, you know? Agreed, agreed. Um, he was just another like, cowboy. Yeah, like there wasn't, you know, he had the one, the one thing I remember about him was probably the match he had with Chris Jericho at the 1998 World War Three pay-per-view, and it wasn't bad. Okay. But other than that, unfortunately, like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, there was, you know, the, maybe the stuff with the West Texas Rednecks um, with Kurt Henning and the Wyndham brothers. But, yeah, that's just, unfortunately, it's not a whole lot I can give you on, on Bobby Duncan Jr. But, you yeah. know, may he rest in peace. R.I.P. Um, yeah, so um, moving on with the day, you ready to run down some cards here? Um, we are forgetting one passing. Oops, I'm um, sorry. No, that's okay. That's quite all right. Uh, no need to apologize. Uh, my first um, conscious uh, memory of an authority figure on television in wrestling uh, in January 24th, 2004, Jack Tunney, the former World Wrestling Federation president, had passed away. Yeah. Wow. Um, R.I.P. Jack Tunney, man, synonymous. Like, uh that's the like Jimmy and I have a joke for 
um, Hulkmania is dead. Uh-huh. Jack Tony is president in any universe. Um, yeah. Yeah. He is synonymous with WWF in that golden era. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, he was, he was, you know, we see it nowadays, and especially in WWE, where, you know, the authority figures are involved all the time, like almost at nauseum, you know. Um, yeah. Whereas growing up when we watched, you only saw Jack Tunney when there was important moments, like when he had to make the decision at the 1994 Royal Rumble on who was the real winner, and he announced that Bret Hart and Lex Luger were co-winners of that Rumble, which, by the way, you can check out that watch-along over at SoundCloud.com, kicking out at 2, Rumble 94 watch-along with Justin and myself. Check it out. It just dropped this week. You're going to have a lot of fun. But cheap plug for me, once again, this week, had to sneak one of those in there yeah. um, while on the subject. Uh, but, yeah, Jack Tunney, uh, you know, he was only around for the important moments. To your point, it was Vince It, it was Vince McMahon's voice or the authority's voice. Um, it was the first original one that I can remember um, yep. being for, like, a major federation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jack Tunney, you know, uh, he, he did a decent job. I mean, he was the son of a promoter, so he had knowledge of wrestling. But, uh, you know, sometimes he, he flubbed, but he's still classic classic oh yeah um for being an authority figure that was neutral yeah he did he he made all the unpopular decisions um across the board you know for the good guys and the bad guys you know what i mean so he was probably like you said the most neutral r.i.p jack tunney and uh that what year was that again dave that was 2004 um, he was no longer with the company at that time. I believe he was let go um, after um, there were rumors that um, he um, he had some issues with uh, with with uh, dealing with money as he was running the Toronto WWF office, and there was um, they closed the office, and uh, he was um, forced out of the company. And I believe, like I said, the rumor I heard was that there was a uh, there was an issue with money that um, I don't know if there was any kind of like he was stealing money or but he was running the the Toronto office and then they had to shut down. And that was the end of that. And so he would not be um, he would not be with the company. And I believe this was in September of 1995. Wow. So, yeah. So that was when he was done. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I should have researched that one a little bit better. For those of you that may be aware or have more knowledge, that by all means, drop us a line, hit us up in our DMs over at Retromania, yes. um, or you can hit us up on Kicking Out It too. We'll try and get more um, information regarding um, regarding uh, the uh, the 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 rumors of Jack Tunney's departure from the World Wrestling Federation in the nineties. Yeah, definitely. Um... Okay, you ready to run down some cards? Let's jump to a highlighted uh, match I'd like to to just reference that was on a WWF MSG show from 1966. Oh, wow. Bruno, Bruno Sammartino defeating Baron Mikel Cicluna. Oh, wow. For the oh, title. You really dug deep in the archives this week. Yeah, 25-minute match. Um, so... Yeah, I will look around for that, but um, I just want to s- just shout out that time period right there. Like, you know, Bruno's with the title. Um, he's on this phenomenal reign, right? 
you know? Um, so defeating a guy, Baron, who was a top heel, kind of mid-carter heel that would face um, off in, you know, against Bruno and um, Bobo Brazil, Johnny Valentine, stuff like that around those times. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah. 25-minute match, though. Yeah. I did, now let me ask you: Did this twenty-five minute match consist of Bruno delivering bear hugs and double axe handles for at least twenty-three minutes of it? Probably, and it ended in disqualification. <laughs> so I'm guessing the there last two were uh, Baron grabbing a chair, and uh, that was it. <laughs> yeah. So that's the oldest uh, note wow. of uh, cards today. Wow, that bus made a long journey to nineteen sixty. What was that again? 66 brother 66 wow all right there you go there you go as as we continue where where are we off to next on this on this journey on the magic school bus of pro wrestling podcasts well my friend let's go to free cable tv and then we can cover a pay-per-view okay about that you want to give a little backstory first yeah, um, what what you're referring to is the 1988 Royal Rumble, the inaugural Royal Rumble event that took place on the USA Network. Um, this was a, um, a special televised event. I remember uh, being at my grandparents' house watching this, and they were taping it. Um, I, I don't know where my parents were. Okay. I think they might have went out like on a date or something, but I was okay. at my grandparents' house. And it yeah. was like in the middle of the week, too. It was like on a school night. Oh, wow. So my grandfather was taping it for me, and I was really excited because it was the night that they were going to announce the Hulk Hogan-Andre the Giant rematch for the World Wrestling Federation Championship coming off of their their historic match at WrestleMania III. Um, and... Uh, you know, there was the Royal Rumble match, which this version of it consisted of 20 competitors. And right. so, uh, yeah, they had, um, they had uh, you know, all different kinds of stuff going on. The Dino Bravo World's Strongest Man Bench Press Challenge yeah. uh, with Jesse Ventura uh, overseeing that. There was a great opening match with Ricky Steamboat and Rick Rude. I remember that match very, very fondly, uh, being very excited watching that as a young man. And uh, then eventually, years later, referencing that match when they would feud in WCW because I enjoyed their Royal Rumble match so much. Oh yeah! If if you don't mind, I'll I'll run down a little bit of the end. Um, there was yeah, a lot go of, for it, man. There was a lot of wrist watch uh, watching for me because there was arm drags and wrist locks at the beginning. But I love that <laughs> technical stuff. Um, yeah. And then at the end, we get a pinning bridge backslide. A um, bunch of small packages, and and mean uh, Jesse the Body Ventura is on commentary for this event with mm-hmm. Vince McMahon, and he's like, "There's about seven or eight two counts there," which there was, <laughs> which it, it was awesome. These guys are rolling back and forth. You don't really, you know, you didn't see that type of work rate at the time so much. Yeah. Um, and then Rick Rude clothesline Steamboat one two kick out. We get a suplex attempt from Rick Rude that's blocked. Ricky Steamboat gives one to Rick Rude, and they're both down. Ricky Steamboat goes to the top, and referee Earl Hebner is, like, clearly in the way. And Rick Rude just pulls Hebner, and um, Ricky Steamboat jumps and hits the ref. Um, Yeah, so Rick Rude has Ricky Steamboat up in, like, a submission lock. The bell rings. We get Ricky Rude's music. 
playing. You think he wins, but no. Um, the referee called for a DQ because he pulled him. Yeah. Um, good way to open the show, I thought, um, with uh, the, the, the way the finish went down and uh, definitely left you wanting more. Yes. Um, when it came to these two, they, they were just so good together. They had such great chemistry. Yeah. And then the, uh, the, the spot that you were talking about with um, Jesse the Body Ventura coming out and helping Dino Bravo lift 700 pounds. He struggled. Huh? Yes. Yes, I think he, he did, did Dino I think Bravo. He t- I think he did too many reps, huh? I mean, I, I'm, no weight, I'm no weight room expert. I am certainly not a gym rat, but um, I, can, I can smell a cheater and, and spot a cheater when I see one. And Dino Bravo had a little bit of help from, from yes. Jesse the Hypocrite Ventura. <laughs> That's yes, for indeed. sure. Um, but, you know, one, one match that um, I remember as a kid, I was extremely bored of it. Um, and I haven't watched it back since, but um, was the, the, the WWF Women's Tag Team Championship match with the Jumping Bomb Angels and the Glamour Girls. Yeah. Um, I was, I remember as a kid, I was like, when are we going to get to Hogan, you know? Right, right, <laughs> I, right. I, not, not that the women weren't working hard and they weren't busting their ass, but I was just like, yeah, it was like filler. Yeah, I just didn't, and, you know, I didn't think it was anything special. I'm actually curious as to uh, if they're going to reference that the, the, in WWE currently, if they're going to reference these titles, um, hmm. you know, because they're saying, you know, when they introduced these women's tag belts, they, uh, they discussed, um, you know, this being the first time that, you know, the WWE had women's tag team champions. And I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, <laughs> We're going to um... have to go back into the archives. Uh, maybe take another, maybe, maybe uh, you know, pull a U-turn on that magic school bus and uh, go back to this date uh, in wrestling history. But, um, yeah, for me, I just wasn't, like, too excited about this match. It didn't do anything for me. No, no, no. Um, and even Vince uh, didn't even know the the jumping bomb angels names at first he was calling him red angel and pink angel and then finally he oh got God. the name sent to him or he must have figured wow. it out and this was a two out of three falls match too um i think that's what did it for me was the fact that it was more than one fall yes and i didn't have any interest in the girls to begin with with all due respect correct i had no knowledge of who they were um it kind of like it kind of started firing up at the end um katsuki does a missile drop kick splash nor hero does a jumping clothesline that uh misses and then we get uh no that hits i'm sorry she does a jumping clothesline that hits uh then we get double drop kicks from both of the jumping bomb angels one two three new tag team champions so we got like the tag team titles changed on the very first Royal Rumble. What do you think about them referencing this Royal Rumble um, on the upcoming Royal Rumble for 2019? Um, I, I would be. I mean, they they only reference this Rumble um, when they want to talk about the winner uh, right. of this Rumble being Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but they don't really. Um, they don't really bring it up too much. Um, just that Duggan was the first one to win it, and there was twenty guys instead of thirty. Right. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll see. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, um, I mean, they, they like they like to. You know what's interesting about like what they do today and how they kind of like circle back to you know, um, like the history of wrestling. Um, and this is a perfect example. Um, late last year. They WWE 
did a shield reunion and um they were getting ready to sell some t-shirts and do this big reunion and all of a sudden they had a top 10 countdown of the top 10 greatest factions of all time and the shield was number one and i was like well if the shield didn't return do you really think they'd be number one like wow. they they it's it's in, in many ways it's kind of like what espn does with with statistics like they make up their own stats like stupid bullshit stats like you know in baseball like this guy hit a home run on this day 17 times in his career against this pitcher while he was wearing this color jock strap like stupid bullshit like that. right you know right, what i mean right. like WWE does it too, you know. Yeah. It's no different. So um, I'm kind of curious if they were to reference this, um, if there's any kind of uh, um, common denominator with this year's Royal Rumble. Um, seeing as that the women's tag team titles are not going to be in play at this Royal Rumble event, um, and it's going to be at that that Chamber pay per view coming up, then I don't see them really referencing this um, this. You know this title match between the the jumping bomb angels and the glamour girls. I'll okay. be shocked if they bring it up when they do it when they when they do the title match to crown the new ladies tag champs in uh, in February. Yeah, shows me uh, keeping up with the product. I I really don't too much anymore. So uh, yeah, I mean I, 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 I thought that I, I, match I get was at people- the Royal Rumble. So. I get why they, I, I get why they, you know, why you wouldn't keep up with it. I can understand. It's not as. Um, exciting but you know i'm a wrestling fan die hard till the day i die and you know i grew up watching wwf that's what got me started so i'll always be a wwf guy but i will always enjoy the alternatives as well kind of like kind of like you in some ways yep yeah i mean i watch the pay-per-views and uh, smackdown here and there when i hear about a good match i want to watch the cn almas and Rey mysterio um oh yes that was a great match yeah and uh before we get too off track Let's focus on the day. Yes. Let's get back to this Royal Rumble. Uh, We have Hulk Hogan and Andre, the recap of everything going on. Um, So since our last episode, we had the trophy segment. That's right. uh, Then what happened in between? Uh, Well, that was in 87, and that was building up towards WrestleMania 3. So um, eventually we had gotten WrestleMania 3 with the slam heard around the world uh, with Hogan and Andre in the Pontiac Silverdome. And then they would build off of that uh, at the end of um, uh, 87, um, going into 88 when Andre was basically um, uh, scouted by the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase to do his bidding. Because DiBiase wanted to buy the World Wrestling Federation title, and yep. he wanted to offer Hulk Hogan a lot of money for it. And of course, Hulk Hogan, being the good brother that he is, uh, was was certainly not going to set that example for the rest of the Hulkamaniac. So he turned him down, and then DiBiase enlisted in the services of Andre, and Andre wanted to beat Hogan and get revenge for WrestleMania three, and DiBiase wanted to be the champion, and if someone else was going to help him do it, then he was going to pay for it. And we come to this moment at the Royal Rumble, the contract signing. Um, yeah, and where, Hogan, uh, uh, hell no! Yeah. <laughs> and Hogan ate that little, uh, that, that, that table... First of all, Ugh. watching it as a kid and like looking back now, like I didn't realize that those that the Hogan was wearing like you know tights like yoga pants. I didn't. I thought those were like really skin tight blue jeans, like acid washed denim jeans that he was wearing. But it turns out that they were um, 
that, that they were uh, the the same attire that he wore on the set of No Holds Barred as Rip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. But um, yeah, and he he uh, he ate that little uh, that that little table. That table looks like a fourth grader's desk at school in elementary yeah. school. Like when Andre slammed his head. Um, and I remember as a kid watching this, and I was like, you know, of course I'm a big Hulkamaniac. I was like, you know, you got to get his revenge. And for some reason, I thought Hulk Hogan was going to be in the Royal Rumble match. Oh. And boy, was I wrong. I was not a happy camper when I'd leave my grandparents' house in the middle of this. I got to see the contract signing, and then my parents, they must have got back from date night and said, it's time to go home. And they put me in bed, and I was not a happy camper because I didn't get to watch the rest of this. But I had the tape, so I would watch it later. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, what is your take on the contract signing? What, what were your thoughts on, on how that all transpired? I'm not sure if this is uh, one of the first contract signing segments. Um, it can't be, right? There's had to no. have been an NWA, right? I don't know, to be quite honest with you. I do know that Hogan and Andre did a contract signing segment for WrestleMania three, but okay. it wasn't in it wasn't in the arena. It okay. was like in a studio. Okay. Um, so it was like very, uh, you know, professionally well done. Yeah. Um, at that time, but this yeah, was this a was... highlight though of of the Royal Rumble besides the Royal Rumble match itself. Yep. Um, but eighteen thousand fans around about going crazy. Um, just a good way to build the tension here and then the shit that would go on in February with two referees. Yes, the twin referees, the plastic surgery brother. Um, <laughs> that's what we would eventually uh, be led to. Um, but this was um, and this, this, this was an, this was a, uh, an instance where um, and I'll be covering this in a few weeks. I'm kicking out of two where I cover um, storylines that were game changers in WrestleMania season. And I think this was definitely one of them. Nice. I'll be covering the, uh, the, the Hogan Andre, um, you know, uh, championship screw, the original Hebner screw job, yeah. um, you know, from that main event. But, you know, as we continue with the day on January the 24th, this Royal Rumble event, um, you know, we had to move on, and we moved on with the Royal... Was it the Royal Rumble match following yes. this with Duggan? Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, so, and B. Brian Blair's in it. Boris Zukov, Bret Hart, Butch Reed, Danny Davis, Dino Bravo, Don Morocco, Harley Race, Hillbilly Jim, Jake Roberts, Jim Brunzel, Jim Neidhart, Junkyard Dog, Nikolai Volkov, One Man Gang, Ron Bass, Sam Houston, The Ultimate Warrior, and Tito Santana. And the Warrior Jim, was in that? Yep, and Jim Duggan. Holy shit. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Jim Duggan wins this one. Being yeah. uh, being uh, one man gang, the last one in it. You covered it on kicking out it too, uh, as the runner up episode, correct? Yeah, we did. We did that. That was in part. That was in our part one of our Royal Rumble runner up episodes, where we um, we kind of uh, you know flipped the switch a little bit and, and 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 was trying to figure out you know what kind of trajectory one man gang could have went on had he won that royal rumble and it really didn't do much for him because not too long after this i believe he became akeem the african dream yeah. um so maybe a royal rumble victory didn't matter but it was the first one and i think they had to give a little something to duggan but they didn't really capitalize much off of this no. um 
for Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But, you know, it was a fun little battle royal, and, uh, you know, it would eventually evolve and become what it is today with the 30 men and now the 30 women. So, um, you know, it, it was... It, it's nothing to write home about, but, you know, it is it is the very first one that was televised on TV. I know that they did the concept at some house shows and tried it out mm. um, a few times to, okay. to, to get the, the, the timing and uh, the spots right and, you know, just kind of messing around and playing with things. But um, this was the very first one on, t- on TV, not on pay-per-view. This was on the USA Network on free TV. Right. Um, so, um, and after this... I think uh, I think the, Bret Hart did a did a good showing in here, surprisingly for being eighty eight. You know, um, yeah, he started out too, right, with yep. him and Tito. Yep. Yeah, and and they needed guys like that in in that match to to kind of kick things off and really uh, set the tone for what the rest of the match was going to be. Because I feel like it wouldn't have been as exciting if you put, let's say, Duggan and One Man Gang in the match to start it uh, out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah. you needed two guys that were very fast-paced and, and could work a good match like a Tito Santana and a Bret Hart. Yep. Um, all right, so moving on, we get a Hogan segment here where he is uh, replying about what just happened. Um, yeah, Hogan which, like, I don't get that only because, you know, you got beat up and humiliated. I would have just left it at that, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you know something, dude, I got to get my heat back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that segment happens. We get the tag team main event, two out of three falls match. Haku and Tama defeat Jim Powers and Paul Roma uh, in two straight falls here. Yeah. I mean, what were they thinking putting that <sighs> match on last? Right? Not that the guys weren't talented in the ring, you know, but like. The crowd yeah, hated you're gonna it. End your event, like end your event with like a fun match, like maybe like Steamboat and Rick Rude, or right? maybe you could, you know, like or, or end it with the Royal Rumble, you know, the event, you know, I don't know, I just the 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 choice of the main event, I didn't get it, but you know, yeah, shit happens. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Next, <laughs> next, uh, Vince and Jesse talk about the Dino Bravo lift, and then they do a little Hogan Andre recap, and we go off the air. And that was the Royal Rumble 1988. So yes, that wraps it up. Yeah. Um, but across the other side, um, in fact, in another country, because this event took place in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, um, we head back stateside. Uh, to Long Island, New York, where yes. the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions present the Bunkhouse Stampede pay-per-view event from the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, New York. Dead First a. time that the NWA had run New York, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. And to me, um, going back and watching this, I'd never watched this show before, um, doing the research for, for marking out the days. And... I thought that um, I thought that for a show, you know, looking back now in hindsight being 2020, I could see why they made the mistakes they did. But um, considering that you're, you know, they, they Jim Crockett Promotions primarily ran the South and Mid Atlantic and even some parts of the Midwest, but they had never, you know, delved in delved into the Northeast, and um, I thought. This being the first time in Vince McMahon's backyard that 
why why isn't this an all hands on deck kind of show? There was four matches on the main card, and there was one dark match. Yeah. Um. The the dark match was the was uh the sheep herders taking on Sting and Jimmy Garvin. What? Um. And yeah. And originally the Rock and Roll Express were supposed to be um, facing the sheep herders in this match, but and they advertised it on television. Um, that this was that this match was going to take place, and then Sting and Jimmy Garvin replaced them, and there was no explanation given on TV as to why the Rock and Roll Express were replaced, and it turns out that they had left the promotion a day or so prior. I don't remember if this was because of a contract dispute or if their deals had run out or whatever the case is, but um, Rock and Roll Express uh, did not face the Sheep Herders, and that was the dark match before the event. Now, another interesting fact about this show was that the tickets, um, the time that was printed on the tickets was incorrectly advertised. The tickets okay. um, were advertised as as starting at 7.30 when the show was supposed to start at 6.30 and the majority of the fans arrived during the last two matches. If you go back and watch it on WWE Network, they have the lights down for the most part. You could probably see you know people in the first couple of rows, um, but only 6,000 people attended this show and the majority of them came during the the the, the nwa world title match with uh, rick flair and hawk which we'll get to shortly so wow. um those are my little nuggets regarding um what took place before the show um but we opened this event with nikita koloff defending the television title against beautiful bobby eaton of the midnight express um yeah inter- bars, interesting wrist locks yeah, interesting contrast of styles, and um, honestly, I would. I mean, as great as Bobby Eaton is, with a guy like Nikita, Nikita's one of those like big, brooding, methodical type of characters, and he's a fighter, and he's not really much of a wrestler. Um, I would have liked to have seen Stan Lane bump around for him than Bobby Eaton. I feel like it would have come wow. across better, more exciting to see Stan Lane kind of, you know taking the licking from Nikita than Bobby Eaton. But yeah, um, I think the story goes with Bobby Eaton though, uh, because this ends up being a time limit draw, Bobby Eaton kind of out wrestled Nikita Koloff and Nikita, yep. uh, they get a three limit, three minute time limit, uh, announcement and Nikita hits the sickle three, two, one time up draw. Um, yeah. So that, that was it. I mean, uh, they they the heels beat down Koloff and they get their heat, but uh, yeah, Nikita Koloff gets the save by the time limit draw. But I think the story was that Bobby Eaton would out wrestle him. And going back and 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 doing some research on this event, they, I mean, Jr. and Bob Caudle were the ones that called the action for this event. But you know, when they opened the show, they just talked about what a great card they had planned and there were some exciting matches including the bunkhouse stampede but they didn't really describe what the bunkhouse stampede was and they didn't even really like kind of like highlight some of the matches that were that were going to be taking place on the card and they didn't really even tell the story as to how Nikita and Bobby Eaton got to the match they no. called the match you know great but they didn't tell you how you got there i had to go do some research and apparently Bob, they were testing a Bobby Eaton singles run by having him challenge Nikita on TV for the TV title. Okay. So, um, and I believe Stan Lane, um, you know, they weren't going to break up the Midnights, but they were just kind of testing things out. Yeah. Um, and they were doing it in Vince's backyard in a New York market. I feel <laughs> like, you know, you, can, you and especially in New York, 
if you haven't done if you haven't run the show there and you're in someone else's territory at least during that time that's an all hands on deck kind of show that's yeah. everyone involved and um I would have highlighted the Midnight Express in a tag team match because that's what they're most known for in Jim Crockett promotions than putting a Bobby Eaton. Because who are the New York fans? If the New York fans aren't smart enough, which they are, but if they weren't smart enough at that time, they wouldn't have known who Bobby Eaton or Stan Lane were, or even Nikita Koloff. You know what right, I mean? Right. So I feel like you know you kind of had to you know use the company's strengths and 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 put that on deck. Um, as opposed to trying different things for a show like this in a new market. But it happened, and, uh, you know, it is what it is, and it was an okay opener, but it didn't really do it for me. No, agreed. Um, But one that really did it for me, the next matchup, which I think fans would probably were really appeased by the work rate um, going on in this one, is Barry Windham against... Larry Zabisco for the UWF Western States Championship. Was that Heritage. UWF or was that Crockett? Sorry, that's the Western States Heritage Championship. But was that a Crockett title or was that a UWF? Says, I don't remember. It says UWF. Okay. Because yes. I remember in the graphic it just said Western States title, but I don't think I saw like NWA or Crockett on, on the uh, on, on the graphic, but I could be wrong. I was just kind of confused, but okay. go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so uh, just a great match overall. We get a pile driver attempt by Zabisco, reversed by Wyndham here. Big backdrop. Baby doll is in the corner of Barry Wyndham, and she's yelling, Get up, babe! Get up, babe! Throughout the whole match. Um, both men collide with uh, running the ropes, and they're down. We get a big 10 count spot here. Zabisco hits his knee on the buckle as Wyndham moves. Wyndham does a big punch in the corner like a you know the 10 punches in the corner and then he's down he swings Zabisco into the corner and Zabisco collides with the ref Uh, Wyndham schoolboys Zabisco but the referee's down Wyndham checks on the ref Zabisco gets hit uh, Zabisco hits Wyndham with baby dolls high heel one two three new champion and Zabisco does this little like cartoon jump at the end like yes ha ha and uh new champion here i like this match I'll, a lot i'll be honest with you man uh when they when this match came on um i didn't have high expectations for it as much as i really like barry windham and i i don't think zabisco stinks i don't know i just i felt it was in the beginning uh, when it first came when they first introduced these guys i was like why are they pairing these two together this is strange okay mm-hmm. whatever and i just didn't really i didn't have high hopes for it but as time went on i was like wow it's a really great match just a lot of fun yeah you know yeah. They, they, they got me into it yes. um and it was definitely better than the first match yeah so i i thoroughly enjoyed it um i don't know about you but um was this the in-between period for Zabisco before he would eventually go back to AWA. Um, yes. I don't remember him yep. being a part of Crockett when I was a kid. I yep. could be mistaken, but... Yeah, I think this was the brief little run that he had, and then uh, he would come back to AWA as the savior and then come back to WCW. Okay. All right. Cool, cool. But, yeah, um, overall, it was an exciting match, and... Uh, I like the finish and, um, you know, baby doll helping Zabisco keep the title or win the title. And the story was basically Zabisco had wrestled for 14 years in the business and never really obtained a championship. And now he's got one. Yep. Um, 
with uh with, with Barry Windham. I will say though that the crowd was more into this match, not just because of the actual um the work between the two, but Zabisco in the New York area was probably one of the strongest heels that ever faced Bruno San Martino, who yes. is, you know, who who is, you know, uh a folk hero in the in, in New York, especially with the Italian Americans and 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 that culture. So uh, they knew who Zabisco was from his Shea Stadium brawl with with San Martino a number of years prior. So it was um, the the crowd was firmly behind Barry Windham, and I think it helped because they recognized Zabisco as uh, you know a, a top bad guy from his time in the WWWF. Yes. Yep. Agreed. Um, all right. Uh, moving on the card. Yeah, we have. Um, you know, if you watch this on WWE Network, the the match was already in progress, but it was Ric Flair and Road Warrior Hawk, and uh, uh, another great match. I thought the finish was good, where Hawk had uh, went to clothesline. He clotheslined Flair, and I don't know if Flair was supposed to eat the clothesline, and then Hawk clotheslined the ref, he, but he Hawk managed him. to. Yeah. He went through him and managed to clothesline the ref as well, which I thought was an interesting spot. And then JJ came in with the chair, he nailed Hawk, and then Flair ended up using the chair. Um, but it, this was another fun match yeah, that, that, that I got into. Yeah, and Hawk won by DQ. And uh, from what I've heard over the years, this was kind of like a test run to see if they could ever put Hawk in a singles role as a top babyface and be a top draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, I think... I think he did well with Flair, and I think it's it was something that they could have they could have experimented on even further. But this was a this was a great match. I thought it was probably if anything, this was the match of the night for me. Okay. On this card, um, I like this one a lot. Um, I think Hawk did his best to sell for Flair as he could for a guy who yep. doesn't sell that much. Um, yeah, that's usually true. that was noted in his matches, but uh, the end. The finish was nice here. The ref was down for a very long time, but uh, the stuff with JJ and the collusion there, and then Flair just being like, I, I, I can't I can't fucking do this match and has to <laughs> use the chair. Uh, classic Flair stuff there. Um, so that, that was kind of predictable in that fashion, but nonetheless, a 21-minute match, so it gave you hopes of like, oh, shit, uh, maybe we could have a new champion, and that was the whole story with... Flair being the NWA World Heavyweight Champion at the time. Yeah, I mean, Flair was, this was textbook Flair. He took a guy that, um, you know, no disrespect to Hawk, but, you know, Hawk was, um, you know, he was a tag team guy and he had an unbelievable amount of charisma, but his in-ring ability was very limited. He was a brawler. He punched, he kicked, and he slammed guys and clothesline guys, but he wasn't, you know, uh, he wasn't doing planches over the top rope or arm drags or uh, you know deep Ricky Steamboat arm drags, but Flair took a guy that had limited ability like Hawk from an in-ring standpoint and made us believe that he was you know within you know inches away of becoming the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and you know that's a testament to the talent and what Flair could do, and he he made a living off of doing that with a number of guys in the territory system all over the world. So um, this was this was classic Ric Flair at its finest. Definitely, definitely. All right, the main event of this evening here, it's the third annual Bunkhouse, won by Dusty Rhodes, the creator of it. it. And at the end, 
after everything's said and done, we hear Bob Cottle, I guess that is. Uh, is that him? Was that yeah. him? Yes, he goes, ironic that Dusty Rhodes wins. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, of course he's going to book himself that way. But uh, he, he last eliminates the Barbarian in this. I didn't like the rules, the booking rules of it, uh, as far as like the logic of the match. Um, yeah, you had to throw somebody either through the cage door or over the top of the cage out to. The, it was a steel cage battle royal, nonetheless. A royal Rumble involving a steel cage. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know. It just, I didn't. It wasn't believable to me. Like, I'm sorry, but like, you know, you really expect me to believe that. Um, that uh, you know, that Dusty Rhodes is going to be able to lift the Warlord or Ivan Koloff from the top rope over the top of a cage. Like, come on! Like, yeah. I mean, and the danger factor in that stuff too is like ridiculous. And and to me, this match I felt like it just dragged, and it was just a way to get Dusty over. Um, there was, I guess. Um, you know, they they wanted to do that whole, like, come as you are, like, dress in your street clothes kind of thing. Yes. And I loved how, like, everyone kind of played to that rule except for Warlord and Barbarian. They just wore, um, you know, their regular tights and, and just put a T-shirt on. Like, yeah, their own T-shirt, <laughs> like, like, too. Yeah, like, those guys don't own a pair of regular clothes, you know what I mean? Like, right. just because they're the Warlord and the Barbarian. So, um, but yeah, I didn't really, you know, the, the Steel Cage concept, it just... It didn't do it for me. I guess, like, guys had to win previous bunkhouse stampedes in order for them to qualify for this match. Yeah, and, Dusty won a know, wild may- card qualifier, too. <laughs> yeah, and on, at, the, at the Omni in Atlanta on, like, New Year's Day or something, or New Year's Eve. I forget when it was. But, um, you know, Road Warrior Animal won the most bunkhouse stampedes to get into the match. I believe he won three. Nice. And uh, this match just, like I said, it, it was too long. And you brought up Bob, Bob Cottle earlier, and Cottle had said, you know, how ironic Dusty um, Dusty won this match. But they also kind of let it slip that Dusty has won bunkhouse stampedes before, yep. um, before even the qualifying matches for this bunkhouse stampede. So um, they introduced him first as like the one who's you know won the most bunkhouse stampedes, and, right? And so, so not an underdog um, at all. No, certainly not. And I just. I didn't really get it, the concept, and, no. you know, I was kind of bored with it. No, That's I how agree. I look at, you know, and overall, with this show, like I said, if you're running New York and you're running um, Vin- in Vince McMahon's backyard, like, this is an all-hands-on-deck kind of show. You do, you know, the midnights and the rock and roll. You do, uh, you could do Dusty in a bunkhouse stampede mm-hmm. or in some kind of a match with, like, the horseman or something, you know? Yeah. Don't run four matches on the card and leave a lot of your talented guys off the card. You know, where was Ron- where was Ronnie Garvin? Yeah. Where, you know, Jimmy Garvin was in a dark match with Sting against the Sheep Herders. I mean, you know, come on. Like, I, I Eddie Gilbert. Where was Eddie Gilbert and Dr. Death Steve Williams and, and, and Rick Steiner, the Varsity Club? Where were all these guys, right. you know? Very talented guys. Like, where the hell were they all, you know? Listen, Daddy, Sting- I, I tell you what's going to make us the money. We're going to have a bunkhouse steel cage with everybody blading in the match, and then I win. 
That's that's right, baby. Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett. He's gonna give me this oversized cowboy boot that can fit two of my ex-wives in it, and, and it's gonna be and shoot five hundred thousand dollars. That's right, baby. We're gonna get Monopoly money. We're gonna fill it up in that big old boot. We're gonna smell like a filibuster right in that boot. And I'll tell you, after I win, I'm gonna cut my face open. After I got in a hard-fought victory with all seven of these other men, and I'll put myself over, and then maybe maybe at the at the Great American Bash, another one of my creations. We're gonna have a steel cage match with me and Nature Boy Ric Flair. There you if, go. If, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is basically designed for me to to, to be the winner, uh, head and shoulders above the rest. And uh, you know, I, I I'll do Hulk Hogan better than Hulk Hogan do in New York. If you if you if you know what I mean. There you go. With an attendance of six thousand, roughly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dusty. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, Man, so, so yeah, yeah. No, I don't know for, for viewing habits, uh, if you want to watch everything in bubbles for federations or promotions, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess the, the middle two matches. Yeah. But, uh, not the opener and not really the bunkhouse stampede. No, certainly not. Uh, this was a very unforgettable no, this is a very forgettable event, I should say. And, yes. yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yep. Uh, one other note for me is Jim Ross is on here very young, and you can tell he's nervous working with Bob Cottle, but they do a great job at uh, running down the Hawk and Ric Flair match as well as the Barry Windham and Larry Zabisco match. Yeah. Um, it was, um, you know, with, with Ross and Cottle, they kind of reminded me of, like, two older um like pro sports commentators like i could hear them like calling football yes. or uh you know they had that like you know that that john madden pat summerall kind of vibe to them mm-hmm. um at least for me as a, as a as an old you know sports fan no i agree uh, that was the classic for me as well and i think uh you know another note jim ross did a lot of emoting for the bunkhouse stampede that was like a highlight for the match was him uh mm-hmm. doing his classic there yeah yeah. All right, uh, moving on the day, you ready to cover 1993 on January 24th? That's right. January 24th, 1993 was the Royal Rumble event from the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California. This took place on a Sunday afternoon. Um, it was in the middle of the day. I remember, I believe this, this pay-per-view started at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, I might have told this story before, but I used to get the Royal Rumble events quite often as a kid because it would fall uh near my birthday so my parents would ask me what i want for my birthday and i would say can i have a birthday party and have the royal rumble and (laughs) they would be like yeah sure so i had a bunch of kids come over and watch this event with me and it was a lot of fun um I, i i definitely enjoyed it and uh this show i feel like is an underrated royal rumble event in general overall i think top to bottom this was um, a, a really fun show in, in, for 1993 standards. It Agreed. wasn't, you know, terrible. Um, but this this show opened with one of my favorite tag teams of all time, the Steiner Brothers, defeating the Beverly Brothers in their their WWF pay per view debut. Yeah, man. And I thought it was a great showing by both teams, and I thought they rocked the house certainly. Hell yeah! The finish uh, you know, was Steiners awesome. and the Beverlys. Yes, the finish was awesome. I'm sorry. It, it was just amazing. Um, Bo jumps off the top rope. Um, Scott Steiner ducks and does a victory roll while on the 
the shoulders of Blake. One, two, no. Then we get a huge Frankensteiner onto Blake, and he lands right on his head, man. This is one of those classic Frankensteiners. And, yeah. Uh, the Steiners looked incredible here. And and like you said, Bo and Blake uh, did their parts, too. Yeah, you know what's fun about this, too, going back and, like, reflecting on this was, um, you know, when I was a kid, you know, a lot of the kids that I went to school with, they weren't huge wrestling fans. I'd get some of them into it, but they only knew of, like, WWF. And this was a case where, you know, I was very familiar with the with the opposition. I was very familiar with the NWA. So there's a lot of, um, you know, references on this show of guys that had worked in the NWA. And, and friends of mine at the time when I was, you know, 10 years old was asking me, who's this guy? Who's that guy? I've never seen that guy before. <laughs> and, like, the Steiners were the first instance of, like, oh, those are the Steiner brothers. They're one of the best tag teams of all time. Like, right. they came from the NWA. They wrestled the Nasty Boys and Doom and the Horsemen and, you know, everyone else under the sun. And so um, I took pride, like, as a kid, but even now, uh, going back and, uh, you know, remembering, like, you know, kind of being like the the wrestling insider to all my fran- my friends as we were watching the show. It was, it was kind of funny. That's awesome, man. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this this match, you know, the, the, the signers, like I said, Beverly's, they rocked the house, they opened it up, and then we move on to uh, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and, and uh, the Big Boss Man, uh, which was... Oh, we don't uh, get the... We get the Rockers stuff. Next. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Excuse me. That match was next. We Excuse get a me. recap of the Rockers. Uh, the oh, breakup. yes, that's right. Okay, I'm sorry. This I is an awesome here. promo package, right? Yes, this was very well done. And I really especially enjoyed when they they showed the spot where uh, Sherry got smashed in the head with the mirror. Mm-hmm. I thought that was I thought that was some pretty cool stuff. Um, and I was a big Rockers fan. I didn't I I, I didn't like that they broke up, but I wasn't too upset. Uh, you know that you know Shawn Michaels was on his own, but I was really looking forward to this match as a kid. And some people dump on this match saying it wasn't great, but I actually thought this was a pretty good match. I I fucking I used to not like it, and I love it. Um, watching it back now, the finish is awesome. We get um we get this shoulder spot in the match though. That's like a classic story that I want to bring up. Um, yeah, go for it, man. Yeah, so. In the match, you see Sean throw Marty's shoulder into the post, his right shoulder. Um, Marty gets up. He starts showing his left shoulder. So Sean is clearly frustrated in the match, and he's working over the left shoulder like Marty has been selling. And apparently there is a backstage story of Marty was asleep the next night on Raw and because Sean was pissed at him not selling the right arm, he told um, he told management that he was drunk and Marty was fired after this. Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay. And Marty had heard... already been fired and brought back again. That's what stopped and started this feud. Ultimately, um, I remember when hearing about Janetti being asleep in the locker room, and it was Ray Stevens that. You know, kind of ratted him out and, um, you know, exaggerated the story uh, a little bit on on Janetti's condition. I had also heard, too, that I don't remember exactly how, but I heard that um, Michaels had gotten into a fight 
or mm. something took place. I think he was drunk the night before, mm. and he they had to do a lot of makeup uh, work on his face before um, before the uh, the big uh, the big match because he had like a ton of black, you know, like black and blue marks all over his face and a black eye. Like they had to really doctor him up to make him look. Um, look presentable on television. Hmm. So I've heard the story. I've not heard that Michaels got involved in firing Janetti, but I've heard that Michaels was was also partaking in the uh, the the adult beverages the night before. And I don't know if he got in a fight or if he slipped on the curb and hit his head on the curb or something. But he was he was roughed up after a night of drinking, and wow. management realized it and had to do something about it. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of stories going into this then. Of, of course, in the wrestling world or rumor and innuendo, um, yeah, <laughs> you, you never know what to believe. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Marty slingshots Sean into the post, roll up one, two, no. Um, and then when punching Sean, he swings back and Marty elbows the referee. Uh, then Marty gets a full Nelson on Sean. Sherry comes in and... She goes to hit Marty or Sean with her high heel. We get another high heel spot for the day um, and hits Marty. And yeah, then Marty gets super kicked and he does a great flip here. One, two, three. Sean Michaels wins. You know what I love about this match was the post-match interview that Oakland was trying to conduct with Sherry at the end of this, and she was, like, hysterically crying. Yeah. He was trying to get Screaming. her attention. Yeah. And, like, and he was like, God damn it, Sherry, get a hold of yourself. Like, <laughs> like Oakland was getting mad at her because she was upset. Like, I didn't, like, I just love going back and, like, hearing, like, you know, like, Oakland, like, get all pissed off with her and, and and then of course that led to michael's coming back there and then Janetti, and then this thing just kind of continued and yep. um and would never be settled yeah, again was, really right no uh, i mean later they in, later in that year they would the have a, a, a title a, yeah the intercontinental title match on that raw but um they never really Settled. Uh, I, I didn't feel like there was any kind of finality to that storyline between yeah. the two of them. Even originally, even the finish they for were the supposed IC? to go to WrestleMania. Yes, from what I heard, um, you know, against each other. And apparently, that was the second year in a row they were supposed to go to Mania because the year before they were supposed to go to Mania after they initially broke up, and that didn't happen. Yep. So this was the second time around they were supposed to do something at Mania, and it didn't happen. So um, yeah. very unfortunate. But it was a good match. I liked it. I remember it as being fun to watch when I was a kid, and it was still fun to go back and watch it now. I agree. And I think the Intercontinental Championship match that they had to close it where the close the feud where Marty ended up winning on the Raw episode just had a weak finish where Mr. Perfect distracted Sean, but yes. it took forever. Yes, I remember that. Uh, God, yeah. We'll see if we end up covering that. Um, who knows what date that is? I'm not sure off the top of my head. But I believe that is May the 17th of 1993. I could be wrong, okay. but let me go. You know what? Well, uh, Little sidebar here. Let's take let's take a look in my notes here. My I've I've notes for future shows for okay. those of you listening and following along. Um, no, we just missed it. Okay, we just missed it. Okay, but maybe we'll cover it on an episode of Kicking Out It too. Who knows? Yeah, maybe that might we can be do something. Failed feuds. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. Put that on the docket for 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 May. Um, <laughs> I'm kicking out it too. Who knows? But yeah, um, 
now can we move on to Big Boss Man and, and, and Bam Bam Bigelow? Because I was so excited to talk about that match earlier. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I took one line of notes for this. Uh, big diving headbutt from Bam Bam 1, 2, 3. Yeah, that's <laughs> about it for me, too. Yeah, yeah. It, it was what it was. Classic, uh, I mean, uh, classic. you know, Hogan-era guy meets new generation era. So, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I got nothing for it as we uh, we move on to uh, probably the, the the match of the night, uh, yeah. the WWF Championship match. You have to uh, watch Ray- this match. Yes, Razor Ramon and Bret Hart for the WWF Championship. Um, probably the first and only time I think the Razor Ramon character got a shot at the WWF title while he was in the WWF, if I'm not mistaken. Possibly. Uh, maybe one other time um, on TV or maybe something. But, uh, yeah, okay. I think maybe that's that it. Up. Maybe house shows. You never know. But I'm just saying, I think maybe one other time. But, yeah, I think you might be correct. I could be wrong, too. So, you know, don't quote me on it. But, yeah, this match was a lot of fun. Loved um, it. Yeah. They, were, they both worked very well together, and they told a great story. And, you know, um, in a short period of time, the Razor Ramon character was uh, was really establishing himself um, on WWF TV. I, you know, there's another case of, like, you know, my friends being like, who's Razor Ramon? Right. And I'm like, that, you know, I'm like, oh, he used to be the Diamond Stud in WCW with Diamond Dallas Page. But you know, he's Razor Ramon now. He's not bad. He's all right, you know. Uh, he came back and, you know, returned and debuted in WWF to help Ric Flair beat Macho Man. And, you know, so I was kind of giving them all the history lessons, so to speak, um, with who some of these guys are. And, uh, yeah, all in all, I can't say anything bad about the Brett Razor match. It was a lot of fun. And I, and I was kind of surprised, like, looking back in hindsight now that, you know, I don't know if, if Razor – if to them Razor didn't do a good enough job, but I felt like I would have had no problem seeing these two guys go at it again for the belt. Yeah, I know. Um, and to your point, yeah, Razor did not get another um, title shot. I'm thinking about when he challenged for the WCW title. Sorry. Oh yes, yes. When he when he wrestled uh, Sting. Yep. In '98. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think, again, Bret Hart pulled a hell of a match out of Razor or another opponent um, that you wouldn't think would mesh maybe too well um, because of the size difference. But, you know, again, Bret Hart is good at that with working with different size people. Um, a, yeah. Definitely a classic champion for that reason. Um, oh, yeah. And this was like Bret Hart early in his title run. He'd only been the champion for a couple months. He had beaten Ric Flair. So they were kind of adding Razor to that list of like challengers. Like they, I remember early on, Bret was wrestling guys like Rick Martel, IRS, Papa Shango, um, Ted DiBiase, you know, for the, you know, in his early title defenses, even some rematches with Ric Flair. And uh, he, um, you know, the Razor was just another guy on the list, but this this rivalry is a little more personal because Razor was, you know, trying to take out the family one by one. He tried taking out Owen at first, and then, you know, they moved on to Brett and going for the title. But yeah, this was uh, this was a classic match and a match that probably doesn't get um, 
enough love and enough credit for how good it is. No, I agree. Um, a, a classic note too at the beginning here, where Brett gives his glasses to the child, and then Razor does the best spot ever. Uh, he sees that and he goes, "Hey, you want you want a gift too?" And flicks the toothpick at the kid. <laughs> I did not know that. That's funny. Yeah. I'll have to go back and watch that before that's, the that's... match starts. <laughs> Love it. That, yeah, that's the the mark of a true heel right there. Yes, indeed. You know? You won't see that today now. They're afraid to have the bad guys do anything. Uh, yeah, you'd have to uh, apologize to them after. Yeah. <laughs> they will never, ever, uh, you know, make those guys, you know, make the. You, you'll never see white, heat, white hot heat in wrestling because we live in a, you know, very PC world. At least for now. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, uh, as, as we roll on with this Royal Rumble event, um, you know, from 1993, the, uh, the the this Royal Rumble match itself. I remember as a kid, it was fun to watch. But no, no, no. Wait, wait um, a second. We we can't be. We'd be remiss if we skipped over. It comes. Oh, it comes full right. circle right here. Oh, uh, that's you'll, right. You'll be covering. I'm sorry. You'll be covering the 1994 Royal Rumble where Bret Hart and Lex Luger both go out. This is actually the um, debut of the narcissist. Lex Luger, <laughs> Bobby Heenan could barely say it. He get it, barely get it out. The narcissist. Yeah, um, it's the debut. <laughs> it's the debut of Lex Luger in WWF. Another guy who everyone was like, "Who's that guy?" I'm like, "That's the total package, Lex Luger." And nice. I remember one of my friends was like, "No, that's the narcissist." <laughs> and I'm like, "That's Lex Luger." I'm like, well, "What are you talking?" Like, I just didn't get the whole narcissist name, and I mean, it was an yeah, okay no. gimmick, but you know. Yeah, it was. You know, Vince. He's got to put his own. He's got to put his own flavor on on uh, on you know a foreign uh, a foreign talent. Right. You know that, that he didn't create. You know something that's not homegrown. Yep. But showing off the yeah, body man. here, and the most hilarious thing, uh, the curtain goes down as Bobby Heenan is on his knees in front of Lex Luger. <laughs> Just a weird image to go out with. Uh, yeah. And he's showing off his body, and it was really uh, Heenan. Had to do his best to sell it as, oh, God, yeah, like Vince would be. The vascularity, pal. Uh, So, yeah, Lex Luger making an appearance there, and then we'll be talking about him plenty on the next. I mean, you've talked about him plenty, but talking about him plenty on kicking out of two. And then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we will definitely, uh, we will, we will definitely talk about the, the Lex Express on, uh, you know, this week's kicking out it too, you know, you know, tune into that. It's uh, available over at soundcloud.com and over on both Facebook and Twitter, the kicking out two social media pages. But, um, you know, as far as the, the, the main event, the Royal Rumble match, um, here's what I took away from watching it as a kid. It was fun to watch at 36 years old. It really lacked oh, um, yeah. a, a lot of star power, and it was just it was just okay. Um, I remember as a kid, I all my friends were like, "Who's gonna win?" And I said Yokozuna, and they were like, "You think Yokozuna's gonna win?" Some are saying Macho Man, some are saying Undertaker. Right. Um, you know, some are even saying Ric Flair. I was like, Yokozuna's gonna win. They're like, "Why?" I'm like, "Because he's 500 pounds. Who's gonna dump him over the top rope?" He's going to win yeah. and challenge for the belt at WrestleMania. And um, that was like the first instance where like I like 
stood boldly behind my prediction and was right and i had no problem gloating about it as a kid but what i took away from this rumble watching it now like i said was that um it was just okay but um the inclusion of giant gonzalez and his debut and attacking the undertaker with his hairy man suit (laughs) Mm -hmm. um that was you know uh it was a cool visual at, 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 at 10 years old, but um, at 36 years old, it didn't do anything for me. And this rumble was very one-sided. Like, I felt like Yokozuna being the odds-on favorite, it was like you were just waiting for him to win. Right. So. Um, yeah. Bob Backlund, Brian Nobbs, Carlos Colon, Damian Demento, Earthquake, El Matador, Fatu, Genrico Tenru. Erwin uh, R. Scheister, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Sags, Coco Beware, Max Moon, Mr. Perfect, Owen Hart, Papa Shango, Randy Savage, Repo Man, Ric Flair, Rick Martell, Samu, Skinner, Tatanka, Ted DiBiase, Terry Taylor, The Berserker, The Undertaker, Typhoon, and Virgil. And wow. Yeah, to your point, Randy Savage was the only other big name besides The Undertaker, maybe in that match that could have, like, done a good job and randy savage was the runner-up for this one and he goes he goes to fucking pin yokozuna and gets tossed out this is a classic spot here and classic savage stuff um we we bring that up on this week's retro mania kind of a have a shade of a note here for this rumble but yeah think about savage have wanting this having won this uh without hogan finally being in not in the picture in wwf you know like what if he had won this in 93 i kind of brought that up on on the uh, part one of second place is the first loser where i discussed um you know at the time randy savage was you know up for more or less a part-time in-ring performer um they would put him in the ring when they needed it uh but for the most part he was on commentary with vince on monday night raw and doing you know um out of the ring uh duties or activities for the company so i felt like um and 93 was a hard transition year for me where late 92 early 93 when hogan was starting to become limited and and that era was starting to slowly fade out and we were getting this new generation um with them dialing dialing back on savage it was a little bit of a tough transition for me to not i wouldn't say get into it but um you know i was a big macho man guy and he was very good in the ring he was charismatic he was over why weren't they using him more yeah. um, in ring to help, you know, maybe get over that next group of guys? You know, people talk about uh, the, the rumor that, you know, he wanted to wrestle more and Vince didn't want him to wrestle more. And that's why they scaled him back. And he wanted to help put Shawn Michaels over and just imagine the stuff they could have done with him, you know, and Shawn Michaels and, and, and really, you know, could it, it could have. I mean, don't get me wrong. Michaels. In hindsight, you know, he, he did great for himself, but imagine the launching pad had he gotten in there with Randy Savage and how quickly his career could have taken off following following a, a rivalry like that. But I thought more or less of Savage winning this Rumble um, and them kind of doing the redemption, not the redemption story, but like the, you know, the the the, the one last match, the one more match kind of thing. Do I have that much more in me? Hell you yeah. Know, and him and this Brett would be my been last time at the title. Yeah, it would have. It absolutely would have. I would have enjoyed it. Um, I heard rumors that that could have been a, a main event for WrestleMania Nine. 
Yeah, there's been a lot of talk for different rumors. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the story, but they pitched an idea to Vince McMahon. I believe it was Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson. They pitched an idea to Vince McMahon to have Scott Steiner debut in the Royal Rumble match and win it and go on to challenge for the WWF Championship and kind of deliver that, like, anything can happen, um, like, surprise element to the Royal Rumble match. And Vince turned it down because he was like, well, I'm not going to get rid of the stuff. You know, I'm not going to... get rid of the Stein, you know, the Steiner brothers, or, right. you know, I signed them to be the Steiner brothers. I didn't sign them to, to be, you know, uh, separate from each other. Right. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was rather, um, you know, uh, a, a, an interesting, uh, Royal Rumble event or should I say Royal Rumble match. The, the event was, was fun, but the, the end was, um, it was okay. You know, right. Yoko winning and, and going on to face the um, you know the, the WWF champion Bret Hart at that WrestleMania. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think the title match could have gone on last. Um, it could have. Yeah, it very well could have. But I think too, at the same time, people would have been like, uh, you know, uh, you know, oh, the Royal Rumble's not on last. Like, right. What the heck, you know, like. Yeah. So I, people, I think people could have, you know, they they might have been scratching their heads at that one too. But overall. Um, this this was a fun show to watch and for 1993 standards, and I think it would kind of go downhill from here after that. Agreed. In, in 1993, I should say. Agreed. But not on January 24th. No. Not on that date in particular, because we're going to kind of take a little break and a little sidebar from the Royal Rumble event itself. We'll get back to it in a minute. <laughs> and we're going to travel to Dayton, Ohio. Ooh. 1998, WCW presented Sold Out. 1998. That's my spray paint. That's a pretty, that that's really good. I thought that, honest to God, that was like a sound effect you just put in. I'm not bullshitting you. <laughs> that was really good, man. Holy cow. Thanks. Okay. Uh, so, I like it. So we kick off. That That's going to have to make a comeback at some point. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll do it at the end. Not this show, but maybe like if we do something with like the NWO. Like, Definitely. You know, bring it up you know yeah just insert it in there <laughs> yeah um all right this one here starts off with a hot um luchador match you know cruiserweights going at it it's chavo mm-hmm. guerrero jr hoover to guerrero lismark jr and super Calo defeating el dandy la parka psychosis and silver king in about nine minutes and 30 seconds with mike Tanay running down everything yeah i mean textbook cruiserweight stuff in wcw at this time with the luchadors it made wcw feel very um uh, you know cultural mm-hmm. with the, the different nationalities competing on their show um you know people will say like oh there was no story behind it and sometimes those spontaneous matches just work yeah you know um, and with the luchadors, it certainly did. It was like an, a special attraction, you know, to maybe someone who would order a WCW pay-per-view for the first time, not watching a Nitro or not being too familiar with it and being like, oh, like, this is cool. Like, oh, these guys had a kick-ass, you know, Lucha Libre-style match. You know, maybe I will go watch Nitro tomorrow night to see what these guys are all about. You know, I think like, that I just thought was, it was the purpose of this uh, because yeah. this is Bret Hart's first uh, event here in WCW as far as wrestling-wise goes. Uh, this is hot yep. off the heels of Starcade too. So um, a lot of WWF fans are viewing WCW more as well as I was at the time. Yeah, 
which is uh, you know the, the placement of the matches on the on this card is rather interesting. But um, you know, we'll, we'll get into that later. But yeah, this was um, ironically enough. Bret Hart's debut in WCW against Ric Flair on this pay-per-view is also the same arena that where he won the King of the Ring tournament in 1993 wow. at the, the, the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio. Nice. A little fun fact for you there, a little nugget. like that. But um, let's continue with the, with the, the, the sold-out. Yeah. Another match here, Chris Benoit defeating Raven with a um, Crippler crossface. Uh, this one was brutal. This is a classic match for me. I like this one. Um, it's a Ravens rules match, so they were allowed to use the chair in it, which they did. And they have a note of where Raven took out Scotty Riggs' eye with a drop toe hold on the chair. Uh, Scotty Riggs' face hitting the chair and taking out his eye. So Raven is trying to do that to Benoit here in the match. And uh, then Raven eats it, and uh, Benoit puts the crippler across cross face on and raven starts to smile and then passes out and that's it yeah this was a fun match and uh this match was originally supposed to take place on the starcade show i don't remember exactly why um benoit and raven did not take place on that starcade event but this match happened on sold out and they delivered uh uh, you know, the two contrasting styles with Benoit being the real technical wrestler and Raven with that, like, unorthodox brawling kind of style, it worked well. And the character was good. I, I think the Raven character is very underrated. And um, I enjoyed this match yes. and the finish, too. Yep. I thought it was really good. Yep. Uh, I agree. Um, and another classic match that you have to watch right after that, uh, Chris Jericho defeating Rey Mysterio Jr., for the world uh wcw cruiserweight championship uh this is a classic one uh lion tamer working the knee of Rey mysterio here yeah this was a great match and this was the coming out party for the 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 uh heel turn for chris jericho yes um in weeks you know prior jericho was uh Jericho was having some issues with picking up some victories, and we were starting to see his character becoming more and more frustrated as the days would go on, and he would take it out on Mysterio, which leads us to this match, and um, I believe this was the start of like Jericho really uh, running the cruiserweight division and being the focal point of that division. Yes. Um, he went from Ray, and then eventually he would get to Hoovy, and then he would do stuff with Malenko for a while, and he would Jericho would be the, the the top man in the cruiserweight division, beginning with this this uh, this match with Rey Mysterio, and uh, this was the coming out party for Chris Jericho in 1998. Yes, indeed, I uh, agreed. Um, a fantastic one here too. Uh, just a little side note in the match: Rey Mysterio Jr. does a six one nine to nothing, and that's how he hurts his knee. Really? Yes. Interesting. Uh, so to nothing he well he you know you know how like uh before he would psych out a person like instead of like yeah yeah, yeah he would yeah yeah so that's okay. how it started um, and that's how he hurt his knee wow i didn't even see well, that. that's how he hurt his knee quote unquote for the story of the match okay yeah Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah, uh, but a classic one. And another one that I liked following up, uh, again, uh, goes to show you WCW did have a stacked undercard for this time, and they were using the roster correctly, unlike we spoke about the prior weeks. Um, Booker T defends his WCW television title and beats Rick Martell. Yes. Yes. I thought this was good stuff. Um, 
I really enjoyed Martel's run during this time in WCW. He was, uh, he was, you know, I, I was always a, a big Rick Martel. I wouldn't say a big Rick Martel supporter, but like I felt like he was capable of so much more. Like even in the WWF, like as a kid, and even up until you know nowadays, I'd say to myself, why wasn't Rick Martel an Intercontinental Champion? He would have been a great Intercontinental Champion as the model Rick Martel. Yeah. And when he was getting the opportunity for the TV title. Um, you know, against Booker, and I believe he'd wrestled Saturn some, you know, a time or two. I thought those matches were awesome. I thought they were great matches, and what really kept me um, from changing the channel from time to time was seeing those guys get involved and, and, and hook it up for the TV championship. And this was another great example of, of you know, of WCW uh, utilizing their, their, their talent very well. Um, Agreed. You know, people... People will say that you know they didn't use their ta- utilize talent very well, and I think there's some truth to that. But um, you know, in this case with Booker and Martell, like they were holding it down in the mid card, man. It was a lot of fun watching them. Yes, I agree. Um, I like this one a lot. Booker T wins with the Harlem Hangover. Um, just this is like peak my fandom for Booker T, and as well as I did love. Like, I like the Rick Martel run at this time. I wasn't a fan of mm-hmm. him back in the day. Um, you know, really? but, no, I, as far as because he was a good heel, so I didn't like oh, him okay. as a kid, you know, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. but I appreciate okay. him now. Um, you got to be older, yeah, yes. you appreciate it. I got you, yeah, so uh, definitely like this run here as well. Um, moving on the card, Larry Zabisco making another appearance, defeats Scott Hall via DQ. Uh, what do you think about this one? Um, I was a little confused by the, you know, the whole deal with Dusty Rhodes. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, as a kid, um, Dusty was on commentary. And yes, although he didn't sing the praises of the NWO and he was a pro WCW guy, um, I didn't see any real buildup as to, you know, why they put him in the NWO, you know? Um, he wasn't really on TV doing a whole lot against the NWO. He was just, you know, a color commentator. And then they just had him show the up. New to World cost... Order. That's right. The, the New World Order, baby. That's right. Yeah, Michael Green Dusty Road. Yeah. No, Part of the odor. NWO odor, now. Odor, yeah. Odor, yeah. Yeah. The Order. Yeah. The New World Order. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking them libations, if you will. But, uh, um, yeah, just, I didn't. It was so random. It just felt random. And I remember I didn't watch this paper as a kid, but I remember reading the report on the Internet. And I was like, what the heck? Why did, you know, why did they put Dusty in the NWO? This was the point where I felt like, all right, they're just putting guys in the NWO for the sake of putting guys in the NWO. Yeah. Like they already had. I mean, I was like, Dusty's not wrestling. It's not like he's going to be you know, wrestling for the NWO. What's he going to do? Like Rick Rude's already a manager. Bischoff's a manager. Virgil fucking, he just still exists. Miss Elizabeth's a valet. Like, why? You need another manager in the NWO? Like, I didn't get it. I didn't understand yeah. it. So, um, you know, but, you know, Hall and Zabisco had a pretty solid match. And, uh, you know, it, this match is most remembered for the finish. And, you know, rightfully so. But I just didn't, I didn't see it. Dusty was the good guy. Dusty was the hero. And, if there was more build up to it, maybe I'd buy it. But like I said, this is the point in time where I felt like, all right, you're just putting a t-shirt on this guy for, you know, for no reason. So, yes, 
Sorry, my network didn't really. Just went off. No, it's all good. Yeah, um, sponsored by WWE Network. They'll just pop <laughs> pipe in every now and then. Um, no, yeah. I I definitely um, would say the 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 shit with Dusty was just unnecessary. Not you know. Yeah. Um, not needed, but yeah, they wanted to put a shirt on everybody, like you said. So um, yeah, we had that, and then we had another train wreck featuring Ray Trailer, Rick Steiner, and Scott Steiner defeating Buff Bagwell, Conan, and Scott Norton, in what felt like which a I think forever was match. that like a rematch from Starcade? Yeah, around uh, somewhat close to it. Yes. Yeah. Because Buff was in the singles match with Luger, but the other five were yes, were yeah. Uh, yeah so okay, yeah. I mean it, it was what it was. Like we know yeah. we're not, you know, we're not splitting hairs here. I mean it just you know, yeah, didn't do anything for me. Same here. Uh, one that kind of did something for me, um, just because it it, it 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 was a better match than what I thought it would be. Kevin Nash defeating the Giant. Um, as well as the remarkable finish there where Kevin Nash splashes hot coffee, quote-unquote, in the Giant's face. It looks like it's slippery. He goes for a jackknife. The Giant gets dropped on his fucking head. This looks so brutal. You see Hogan, like, turn his head to the side. You see the audience turn their head to the side. Oh, my God. And then guess what? They focus on his eyes because of the coffee after the match. Not his neck. His eyes. Uh, but Kevin Nash, the giant killer. Yeah, that, that power bomb was really devastating. I was kind of curious as to, you know, if that was, you know, if he legit dropped him on his head, um, which I've heard that he did. And it was an accident. And luckily, giant, you know, Paul White didn't suffer any major injury. Right. Um, h- however, um, yeah, I was just like, I, I, I was kind of taken aback by, you know, the, the, I mean, if you go back and, you know, watch Super Brawl from the year prior in, in 97, Nash picks up the giant like a feather and power bombs it. Uh-huh. It's a sight to see. You have to go back and watch it. So when he did this, I was kind of surprised that he dropped him. But, you know, giant was much heavier. And I'm assuming Nash, you know, wasn't as strong. And possibly the um, coffee. So... Yeah, but I mean, this was a match that was supposed to be on Starcade. It seems like this is like sold out is like Starcade ninety, you know, Starcade ninety seven part two. The matches that should have happened yes. on this show, yeah, um, because the um, you know we saw you know uh, a rematch of the you know we saw Benoit and Raven. Uh, this match was supposed to also be on the Starcade show, but it didn't take place. That that half-ass six-man tag that they had with the NWO against the Steiners and Ray Trailer that was originally scheduled for Starcade, but Macho Man was on the NWO team instead of Buff. So uh, I mean, yeah, you know, the, the, this show overall has been pretty good so far um, as we've reviewed it, but it was a uh, it, w- it was a night of you know rematches and matches that should have taken place, and I felt like that they delivered, and if anything. Hindsight being twenty twenty, and we'll, we'll we'll get into it, but I'll just kind of give you a little preview right now. This match probably should have closed the show. Yes, this was the with most the way that you know. Yeah, they had built this up with the whole bounty, uh, you know, the 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 million dollar, you know, uh, Nash get Nash power bombs. Some oh no, was that after? I think that was after. Yes, 
Yeah, I'm sorry. That was after. I'm I'm totally getting ahead of myself. The 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 thing was Nash couldn't touch. Yeah, no, giant the giant couldn't, couldn't touch. Couldn't Nash, touch. he never got him. It's yeah, giant couldn't touch Nash. I'm sorry. I'm off my game today. I apologize. No, no, I'm a little off my game here. Getting ahead of myself. Um, so. You know, I want to apologize to those listening, but yeah, this was about um, Giant getting his hands on Nash because he couldn't get him on he, on Starcade. So uh, I thought it was very uh, build up was very well done, and if the power bomb on his neck was a happy accident, they certainly built up. You know, they built well off of that following it. Yes, definitely, definitely, certainly. So uh, another match that was built up pretty well, I think, in retrospect. Um, the next one, Bret Hart defeating rick flair via submission uh with the sharpshooter uh, in about 18 minutes here um yeah this was built off of rick flair wanted to hear bret hart say you're the best say the line say the line say it say it <laughs> the best there is the best there was the best there ever will be Woo! not while i'm here um yeah, yeah. so uh yeah love that um what do you think of this match it was a good match, and I thought it was a good way to introduce Brett onto pay-per-view um, in, in, a, in, his, in a big match. Um, people complained that he didn't have a match at Starcade. Um, I had no problem with him the month prior being the referee to Zabisco and Bischoff because it all kind of came full circle with the way he left the WWF. Okay, yeah. And the whole you know referee screwing him and him being the referee for that match, yep. it did make sense. So I had no problem with it, and I had no problem with him wrestling Flair, and it reminded me of you know the unfinished business I felt in within you know kayfabe you know the kayfabe world of wrestling that the two of them had based off of Brett beating him for the title in '92, and I think they might have even mentioned that in like some pre-match promos, like on Thunder or on uh, you know uh, Nitro, uh, one of the two shows. But um, if anything. This probably this is another match that you could sit, you could argue could have been the main event. Yes, um, agreed. Because they were building up Brett's debut in WCW, but this was a this was a damn good match. Both guys brought their working boots, man. They they you know they they I would say they tore that tore the house down, but it was it was a fun match. No, they put a lot of effort into it. Um, despite what we would see from other stuff from Brett later in his WCW career, you know. I feel like yeah. sometimes he didn't give it all, um, but yeah, he. Did. Oh, I, 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 I'm sure that's the case as well. We'll, we'll get into more, you know, of Brett during his time in WCW. I'm sure of it. Oh yes. As we mark out the days oh. on this journey, on the Magic School Bus. Oh yes. Um, so let's continue the with the event, main event. Well, let, well, before we get into that, need need I remind you and everyone else that there was a an in-ring segment involving uh, Roddy Piper, oh, yes. J.J. Dillon, uh, Sting, and Hulk Hogan regarding the controversial finish at Starcade that uh, you know the month prior. Yep. Um, Sting was stripped of the title by WCW, and it was going to be held up, but they didn't know what they were going to do with the title, so they had built up this pay-per-view that were of. of we were going to find out, you know, what the plan was for the vacant WCW heavyweight title. So they didn't; these guys didn't have a match, but um, they had an in-ring segment basically announcing their Super Brawl rematch the next month, mm-hmm. um, which 
wasn't bad. Um, I mean, obviously they had to kind of pivot a little bit because of the the the, the way that the finish went down at Starcade didn't go in the direction that they had hoped with the. So they supposedly the referee is supposed to have a fast count, but that wasn't relayed to him, and it was a regular count. But they they tried to save it, and they they stripped Sting of the belt, and um, only for him to get it back. Like if if anything, like they should have done the rematch at sold out. But um, you know they 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 did this you know build up and reveal to you know announcing the Super Brawl match. Um, like I said, it was okay and. It, I guess it was a way to entice you to, to watch Super Brawl, but um, the biggest match in the history of WCW at that time was Sting and Hogan based on the storyline, and they had that match at Starcade and that finish, and I was just kind of surprised they weren't wrestling on the card. Yeah. You know, I, I was I was taken a little back by it, and they closed the show with Randy Savage and Lex Luger, which was baffling to me. I didn't understand that. If anything... I would have done Hogan and Savage versus Sting and Luger and made that a tag team main event. And you could have built off of, you know, Hogan and Sting getting a, getting a piece of each other at Super Brawl the next month. They're kind of preview that. And at the time, the NWO was kind of, you know, in disarray because Hogan lost the title at Starcade. So you could have built off of that more, maybe with Hogan and Savage and teasing the seeds of dissension there. So, um, I thought like the main event with Luger and Savage was eh, yeah. But there were other ways I think they, they could have closed the show out, either Nash and Giant, Brett and Flair, or they could have just added Sting and Hogan to that match with Savage and Luger and make it a tag match and and, and kind of call it a day. But overall, I thought this show wasn't bad, and it was definitely the better sold out of all the sold out events they've done. Yes, I agree. Um... I, I don't have anything else to add. Um, that, okay. that was pretty much it. Um, I agree. It, it was watchable for the the beginning of the card. And then we have that classic Bret Hart and Ric Flair uh, rematch. And then the moment with Kevin Nash and the Giant. And then we get this yeah. unnecessary main event. Um, yeah. They, they had literally been feuding for almost three years. Lex Luger and Randy Savage. It's like a go-to match for WCW. Um, That's right, yeah. When, when Luger came in, he had beef with Savage right away, if, if we're not mistaken. Yep. All right, well, um, so moving on with the day, we're back in Rumble mindset, correct? That's with right. Actually, we are in 19... 20 years to the day. Yeah, 20 years to the day. 1999, January the 24th. No chance in hell. Mm-hmm. Stone Cold Steve Austin entering number one in the Royal Rumble match and entering in at number two is Vince McMahon. But before we get ahead of ourselves, because it seems to be the theme this week here on Marking Out the Days, at least on my end, um, we we could start the 99 Royal Rumble with Road Dog and the Big Boss Man starting out this event. Oh, no, 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 we don't have to. Big Boss Man won. That's it. Okay, good. That's fine. <laughs> what about Billy Gunn and Ken Shamrock? Um, Do we have to go any further into that or no? This one was okay. Uh, but yep. yeah, Ken Shamrock wins via ankle lock. And that's about it. And then we had Gangrel and X-Pac. 
another one for the European title. Um, X-Pac wins, and it's a five-minute match, and really nothing to write home about, honestly. As we continue with the nothing-to-write-home-about edition of the Royal Rumble from 1999, we have Sable and Luna in a strap match uh, for the WWF Women's Championship, and Shane McMahon involved in this match. Yes, indeed. Um, what was interesting about not the, this match, the only thing that was interesting about this match, in my opinion, was what were they tr- what were they trying to do with Shane and Sable? Because I felt like they kind of had something there. They were just trying something out to see what was going to work. Mm-hmm. What what were the what, what were they thinking? What was the plan? Because sure. I've always been I've always been fascinated by sometimes they will try certain things out and it may get a, a, a strong or solid reaction and then they don't do anything to follow up on it. And this was one of those situations where. They were kind of doing this little thing with Shane and Sable. I don't know if Shane had a crush on her, and he was trying to he was trying to get into bed with her, and you know, kind of lure her to to him and the corporation. But I was always intrigued by what direction they were going in with that. Yeah, um, as was I. But again, like you said, I think at this point, um, for me. For this pay-per-view, it seems like it's like they were at the end of this uh, Austin McMahon stuff and they were burning on, they were running on fumes with how much they could do, uh, much more. Um, And of course, the rock angle was awesome, but uh, we were kind of getting into an era where they were kind of throwing stuff at the wall for the next year and, and you would see little blips of things come and go. Um, until they really popped off with the Attitude Era, you know? Um, this was the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this was the transition of, uh, in between that era. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, this is another match where it's just nothing less than five minutes. Sable wins by touching the corners behind Luna Vachon in a strap match. And, yeah, yeah that's for the women's title. And now to the stars of the show. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, the I Quit match, Mankind and The Rock for the WWF Championship. Uh, this match mostly remembered for um, the 13 chair shots Mick Foley took to the dome as he was handcuffed, um, courtesy of The Rock. Uh, brutal stuff, classic match, and... Um, Obviously, we'll never see anything like that happen again in today's world of wrestling because of the the, the injuries, you know, the head injuries, you know, um, being such a sensitive subject. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, this was this was just a. I'll never forget. I didn't order this match on pay per view on that Sunday, but I read the report of the thirteen chair shots, and I was like, I gotta get the replay on Tuesday. And me and my buddy split it, and we got the replay, and we were like, Holy shit! Like he is fucking laying into him with that chair and just keeps going and going and this dude's handcuffed and he's bleeding yeah. i was like man like it was just it was it, the rock was cool like to me even as a bad guy i dug the rock and he was cool but after what he did to foley and michael cole's commentary i was like all right how can you think the rock is cool here like th- like he's a dick mm-hmm. like he just he, you know what i mean like 
Yeah. You had no choice but to hate him in this situation. And this was it. This was it right here after he, you know, recaptured the WWF title after those 13 chair shots and um, supposedly making Mick Foley say I quit. We would find out later that um, it was a recording of him saying the words I quit in a pre-match promo that they used and piped it into the the uh, the public address system in the arena. Yeah. Um, and they, they they did a great job with the storytelling for the match. But again, even at the time when I was younger, I was like, that's too far um, with the chair shots. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely one to watch, though, um, because it's just one of those it's one of those pivotal moments in uh, the World Wrestling Federation in the Attitude Era. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um now we get to basically this is a two man this is a two man show mm-hmm, right here mm-hmm. um, with the Royal Rumble match. This match is all about Austin and McMahon, the bounty that McMahon put on Austin. Austin trying to you know get back to the promised land and become the champion, and Vince doing everything he can to try and stop him. Um, this match is all about that story, and um, I felt like as good as it was. It took away from the other things that went on in this Royal Rumble match. This is not one of my favorite Royal Rumbles to watch, this Royal Rumble match. There was, um, at some point, you know, for the most part, the Austin McMahon storyline took up the majority of this match. Yeah, well, let's talk about about that that, that storyline prior to what was going on with Stone Cold, right? Didn't he get injured and taken away in an ambulance? Um. Yeah, so like he so he starts the match with Vince and he gets a piece of him and he's beating him up and um you know the whole you know the whole you know eliminations occur over the top rope and both feet hit the floor well Vince slid under the rope and managed to make his way through the crowd and Austin followed him all the way to the concession stands and into the ladies room where the corporation uh was there to to greet him with a with with quite the beating and uh it was a trap all along as michael cold said that the corporation was was there waiting for him vince baited him to the to to the women's room and you know austin was taken away on a stretcher vince had left and then the royal rumble match continued and um there really wasn't anything to write home about in terms of like memorable moments in this match because this match was centered around um Austin and McMahon you had like two instances where um there was some outside storytelling so to speak like Kane had a spot in this match where he was eliminating guys and then the the orderlies from the nuthouse show up to take him away yeah. uh, which I forgot about they're, that story. They're up, yeah, they're on McMahon's payroll. McMahon's keeping him in the corporation. Otherwise, they're going to if and if Kane doesn't do what he says, he's going back to the nuthouse. Yeah. So they they were there to make sure that Kane didn't win the Royal Rumble, and so he eliminated himself over the top rope and chased after those guys into the crowd. And then later on, you had Undertaker show up with the Ministry to sacrifice Mabel, who would eventually become Viscera, to join the Ministry of Darkness yeah. and. Um, that didn't really mean much um, in the grand scheme of but things. But it was it was essential um, for the storytelling of this match because they flash later to them taking Viscera in to a uh, the hearse, and then you get who returns? Yeah. Stone Cold. Stone Cold in that in ambulance. That's ambulance. right. Yeah, 
And that's where, you know, this story picked back up is that there were some guys in the ring at this point. Vince was still on comp. Vince, now, we've also forgot to mention that Vince had, you know, when Austin was carted away in the ambulance, Vince had. uh, He goes on commentary. It's great. Yeah, he goes on commentary with Michael Cole and the King. And that was some, I wouldn't say like highly entertaining stuff, but it was still fun to listen to. I liked his um, banter. Yeah, it was yeah, it was interesting. There was one point where Michael Cole was like uh something about the the hundred thousand dollar bounty. Um he's like, Are you gonna you're gonna give him cash and you're gonna write him a check? And Vince says something to him like, Your check clears every week, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Michael Cole was just like speechless at that point. But and this was like early stages of like Michael Cole in like a prime spot as a commentator. because um, he was kind of covering for JR when JR was dealing with that issue with his Bell's palsy, but Vince comes back, they have that banter, Austin shows up, and then he starts laying into guys left and right. Uh, you know, Jeff Jarrett, Owen Hart, Triple H, D'Lo Brown, Big Boss Man, China at one point. Um, until we get to eventually, you know, Austin being the last guy left, and Vince has still not been eliminated, but he's on commentary. Austin drags him in and delivers that beating some more, trying to finish the job they start earlier in the evening, and out of nowhere comes the newly crowned World Wrestling Federation champion, The Mm. Rock, helping distract Stone Cold Steve Austin, resulting in Vince McMahon sneaking up from behind, eliminating Steve Austin and your winner of the 1999 Royal Rumble match and going on to WrestleMania to face the WWF champion, Mr. Vince McMahon. Yeah, Al Snow, Big Boss Man, Billy Gunn, China, D'Lo Brown, Dan Severn, Draws, Edge, Gangrel, Gilberg, Goldust, Golga, Jeff Jarrett, Kane, Ken Shamrock, Kurgan, Mabel, Mark Henry, Owen Hart, Road Dogg, Steve Austin, Steve Blackman, Test, The Blue Meanie, The Godfather, Tiger Ali Singh, Triple H, Val Venus, and X-Pac. Uh, but Mr. McMahon stands tall. <sighs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it made sense for the story, I guess, like with the Austin McMahon thing. Like, I'm not like up in arms about it. I will say this, though. If it's 2019 and this were to happen, like the whole Internet would fucking lose oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. If, <laughs> like, like Shane if the McMahon story was winning good, the best it, in it, the world. Yeah, I mean, what? It, not to get off track here, but since it's you know concerning a McMahon, what did you think of that? I thought it was odd. Why just throw him in there? But if it's for storytelling, sure, as long as they go somewhere with it. But it, otherwise, uh, if they don't do anything with it, really odd. Well, like you said earlier, Hogan's famous line is, all right, well, where do we go from yes, here? Yes, exactly. And, that's, and they had plenty to go from with McMahon beating Austin. And the way they eventually got to that point, um, it made all the sense in the world for him Agreed. to win. And Agreed. It, was just a, it, it was just a fun way to really further the Austin-McMahon story. And I didn't have any problem with it whatsoever because I knew, like, he's going to fucking get his ass kicked. Are you kidding yeah. me? Like, they just teased it. Like, they're not going to... Austin will find a way. He's not going to WrestleMania. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's how it worked. Yeah. So, overall, not you know, if, if there's one bright spot out of this show, it's the I Quit match. As good as it was and even as brutal as it was, it was still um, entertaining to watch. But um, this Royal Rumble event doesn't do it for me. No. And, this, and this is Attitude Era. This is like the, the golden age, so to speak, of, 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 of Vince Russo and his storytelling. Yeah, like, um, but, you know, people... Yeah, like like I attempted to say earlier, uh, 
I think I have found a better way to to word it. It was the the end of like the the beginning attitude era. It was next phase. Yeah. They needed to do 2.0, which they would eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah. this was that. Yeah, it was like the same shit over and over. Um, so we were kind of like, ugh. There was nobody big in the match besides Austin and you know McMahon and then the Undertaker and Kane spot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's how I that's how I feel about um, you know the nineteen ninety nine Royal Rumble match. Um, is there anything else we need to address with with this this event on this day, January twenty fourth? No, uh, the Royal Rumble for nineteen ninety nine is all done. Only thing I want to touch on for the year two thousand. Um, there was a title change, a new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, Sid Vicious, defeated Kevin Nash in the main event when uh, Jeff Jarrett comes out uh, to try to come out with the save with the guitar. Sid Vicious uses the guitar on Kevin Nash, pins him, and we have a new champion. And they started a new cruiserweight uh, tournament here. Okay, yeah. yes. So then they honored Bobby Duncan Jr. at the end, at the beginning of the episode. Um, this was the day being that he was pronounced dead um so they had passed yes. away yeah so okay. that was about it for this event there was a lot of shit going on on the card but again uh only covering the notable thing here sid vicious becoming the new champion as we would see a lot happening in 2000 with titles like that uh, yeah i mean even just in general like we talked about on previous editions of marking out the days how this was, you know, post uh, the first Vince Russo run as the booker in WCW. And this, I believe this was, you know, the, 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 uh, the results of the Kevin Sullivan, J.J. Dillon experiment yeah. um, at that time in 2000 where they were trying to right the ship for WCW, so to speak. And this was some of the worst stuff that they had ever produced, but um, Sid consistently, I mean, at the time, he was the de facto number one babyface because all their top guys were, were, were gone. Sting and Goldberg were on the shelf, and Brett was on the shelf, mm-hmm. and um, Hogan wasn't even there at the time, so they had no choice, but they had to um, they had to put Sid in that position because he was a reliable draw for them. Um, and going up against Nash, it, it, I mean... It was okay. It made sense. It had to happen because they didn't really have anything else to to go to at that time. But this was probably some of the worst of the worst when it came to WCW. Yeah. Far worse than far worse than what they did later in the year because I think they were, and we'll we'll address that at some point later on down the line um, here on marking out the days. Yeah. But yeah, nothing really to write home about. And like you said, a lot of shit, a lot of title changes taking place, and this was on the on the other channel. They were hitting on all cylinders with Raw, you know, the Attitude Era. Um, and just to briefly touch upon it, the only thing that was um, the only thing that was uh, that was notable on Raw on this episode on that same night was the night after the Royal Rumble, Bubba Ray Dudley putting Terry Reynolds through a table. Nice. That was that was what I remember most about it was 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 that image and the fact that I believe. Big Show was trying to uh, prove to Triple H that he really did win the Royal Rumble from that botch finish the night before against The Ugh. Rock. Yeah. So, and uh, we have The Rock and Rikishi teaming up before Rikishi did it for The Rock. <laughs> um, yeah. 
so not too much to show there. Um, but yeah, that's about it for the day. Do you have anything else? Um, I think that's it for retro wise. No, man. Yeah, I think we're good for January 24th. Yeah, uh, and I, 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 said, I said before, I said we would do the show in two hours or less. We're about two hours and 13 minutes on my count right now, so I might have eaten my words yeah, already. about same um, here. Shit. Uh, but we tried our best, and uh, I think we did our due diligence. Next week, January 31st, head on over to that magic school bus and hop along with us as we... Um, we discussed some interesting uh, developments that had taken place in the world of professional wrestling on January 31st. Um, legendary Japanese promoter and wrestler Giant Baba had passed away. Uh, we got more of that bullshit from the, the episodes of uh, Raw Nitro from the year 2000. I'm sure we'll be discussing some of that. But one episode or one instance in particular that happened on raw that evening that was the debut of the radicals chris benoit eddie guerrero perry saturn and dean malenko two weeks following their jump and them walking out of wcw they appear on wwf programming and i wouldn't say this is the final nail in the coffin for wcw but um they were definitely they they were definitely perceived as a sinking ship when uh, you know that core group of guys had left to join the World Wrestling Federation. Um, another interesting development on January thirty first that took place that we're gonna get into that I'm really looking forward to discussing with you next week is in nineteen ninety eight WCW presented their first internet radio telecast podcast. It was it wasn't even a internet. podcast back yeah. then, but. It was internet radio, and it was called the WCW Boston Brawl in 1998 from the Fleet Center. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting time um, for WCW in 1998. They were still having a pretty good year, but to put out an event like this, um, it was pretty groundbreaking at that yeah. time. So I'm looking forward to discussing that further with you next yes. week here on Marking Out the Agreed. Days. And I, they, they advertised that, um, that Boston Brawl on the sold out card that we covered for this episode and i was like oh shit they're they're pretty ahead of their time and they always were they were they had wcw wrestling.com uh ads like a couple times for the show too so uh yeah it'll be interesting to see what we can get for coverage for that um but yeah today i think the theme would be the commentary uh, you know, having Jim Ross uh, being a fresh commentator there and some of the commentary with Heenan and Monsoon having their last one together for the 1993 Royal Rumble. And Heenan was on fire on that 1993 Royal Rumble there. So I will say that for the commentary highlight as well as sold out 1998. He had a great part where um, Kevin Nash and the Giant go over the ropes and they're doing the 10 count uh, to get back in. And the giant yep. scoots under the ropes. And Tanae describes, yes, so both men have to be, uh, can be into the ring, you know, before the 10 count. And he explains it and he says, do you understand that, Shivani? And, and Shivani says, do you get that, Heenan? And Heenan's like, hey, baby, 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 baby. Yeah, I hear you, Tanae. And Tony <laughs> fucking loses it on the mic. Uh, I will put that snippet in if I can. But, yeah, it's fucking, you can hear him going. And then Tony's like, you know, I'm going to fight the rest of the night, if you know what I mean. Like, trying to fight through the laughter. Uh, yeah, just 
definitely a high note for that. And another high note is the high heels. We got two high heel spots on this. Um, yeah. Very, very interesting. Very detail oriented. I like it. I like it very much. Yeah. So uh, that was this week, and you just previewed next week. And uh, as always, you can find Kicking Out at Two at facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two you can hit that like button if you have not already if you have please tell a friend who loves to talk the old glory days of professional wrestling over at kicking out at two facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two same thing goes on twitter our handle is at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two uh new show this week up 1994 royal rumble match watch along my brother justin and i had a ball doing it hope you guys have a ball listening to us while you watch it on the wwe network just make sure you mute that tv and you join us with our alternate commentary because i'm sure it was better than vince mcmahon and ted dibiase in 1994 yeah i look forward to that and as always you can find retromania on facebook searching at retromania with a w as well as Twitter at Retromania Pod POD, and then you can write to us at Retromania Podcast at gmail.com. We are always on moholeradio.com, and we can have our archive found on retromania.blogspot.com. And this week we will be dropping a new episode of Gaijin Wrestling Radio, as well as Hulkamania is Dead is returning to run down the Royal Rumble from 1991, number one to number 30. And hope you guys enjoy the Royal Rumble coming up this weekend. Dave, once again, we got a Royal Rumble-centric episode and an action-packed one, and can't wait to mark out the day again next week. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. This is always a pleasure, and uh, we will see you. You you guys better be ready because that school bus is not taking anyone that's late to the party. So you guys better be ready next week, January 31st, for some more historical and not-so-historical banters marking out moments with us here on marking out the days all right talk to you later dave thanks man